Hi guys, Brantley here, uh, calling in to let you know uh, my favorite movie I watched this year for your Fixie episode. Um, and the most uh, compelling, riveting movie I watched this year, um, it wasn't Sound of Metal or Nomadland or um, any other film that I sort of expected it to be. It was actually a, um, I guess, sort of lesser known cinema verite quasi-documentary called Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Um, it is ostensibly a look at a dive bar in Vegas uh, on the last day that it's opened. Um, and I was just absolutely riveted by um, the regulars that would come in and, you know, what they talked about and what they did throughout the entirety of the of the documentary uh i found it endlessly compelling and um you know we can sort of gauge movies i guess since we're watching so many at home by like the urge we have to check our phone and i didn't have an urge at all while watching the movie um and i say quasi documentary because when watching it I, I assumed that they just were there filming the final day of a dive bar and as I read a little more about it after the fact, you kind of understand that they sort of staged it a little bit and they got a bunch of people and put them in a dive bar in New Orleans, actually. And then like, but used all these exterior shots of Vegas. And then they did put a couple professional people in there who could act amateur and everything. So it was like very, very cinema verite in that style. Um, and, you know, I think some people dislike that. I actually found that even more interesting and fascinating because it seemed to add this new element to the film after the fact, after I watched it. Um, but that to me was my favorite movie of the year, at least from a cinematic experience. Um, and I would rate it higher than other really great documentaries this past year, like Boys State. Um, uh, so that would be my recommendation for people to check out Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets. Thanks, guys. Hello, and welcome to the Get Your Film Fix podcast in part two of the sixth annual Fixie Awards show. It is extraordinary, I think, is the <laughs> best word to describe how part one went. went part one went. At least, I, I'm basing that really on our feed, the hey, feedback Lee. we've gotten. I haven't even... Have you guys even been able to get through no. all the emails that we've gotten? I thought we on might do one? a check in on, um, our, on our champagne bottles. Well, mine's, mine's empty, empty too, but it's about Chapin. to be full. <laughs> um, and I, I noticed Jeremy, I think, is drinking a a, a Oktoberfest. <laughs> no, it's a it's a beach session IPA. Okay, so Jeremy's already Ugh. moved on to beer, um, but that's all right. We're at part two of the Fixie Award Show. We're very excited. We're going to be awarding the winners for best actor best actress best director and best picture of the year just to give you a quick recap uh we have already awarded for best cinematography joshua james richard for for nomadland we have awarded jack fincher the best screenplay award for mank paul racy for sound of metal is the best supporting actor of the year and amanda seyfried best supporting actress for her performance in mank and we are going to move quickly into our Best Actor nominations. Chapin, we're going to kick things off with you, with your number five. Take it away. Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. 
Okay. We're going to talk about them on this part okay. too, as well. We're not. Yeah. Gonna look, look, I, <laughs> I, I, I really, I mean, he's the, he's the movie, right? Like it's, it's him. It's his thing. Um, as I finish urinating into this bottle. Um, <laughs> All right. Why don't, why don't, why don't we take this from the top? Chapin, why don't you make a note? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering what was distracting him. We could have just taken well, a bathroom break. So, yep, that's about full. Did oh, it fill up yeah. the bottle the whole way? Um, yeah. I like right. how you can no, fill no, no. it back up. Chapin, I'm going to, I'm going to get, you, you can decide when you're editing how you want to handle this, but. All right, we're going to kick things off with Best Actor. Chapin, why don't you lead us off yeah, with your number five? Yeah, it's going to be Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal. So, look, um, I, I, like he, he's the movie. It's his story. He's uh, uh, just uh, his, the focus of the movie is on him. Um, and, and, you know, like, I, I'm sort of surprised he's not higher on the list, but I think really it has to do with... Um, um, <laughs> I, you know, it's it's... He's, I feel like, you know, as an audience member, I was waiting for him to explode as this addict who, or a recovering addict who, you know, had this incredible, like, life changing disability essentially happened to him. Although I know that that's controversial, the deaf community isn't considered a disability, but like this, this, this incredible change in his life, and you're waiting for him to explode, and that tension really was the remarkable thing for me about this film. And he never does. He never relapses, but you just feel, you just understand him as the, as a person who could just like any moment, just snap and like, and, and you feel like he's on the razor's edge, this entire movie. And I think that's a a tough thing to do, especially because this film doesn't give him that the scene to be like, to have the big moment. And, and, and so what Riz Ahmed has to do in the, in the running time of Sound of Metal is make you understand that, understand that tension, understand that sort of simmering um, tension underneath his, his performance. But it never gets to that point where he, you know, slams the bottle or injects drugs into himself. And, yeah. and, and, and being able to communicate that to the audience, is, I think, is an extraordinary thing. I, I, this whole movie is designed t- to, for your audience to try to interpret what's going on in his head. And that's a, that's a challenge for an actor, for sure. And I think the whole time you do understand what's going on in his head, and I think that's kind of what you're talking about. But I, I also want to – he didn't end up making my list, and he was a, it was a very close honorable mention for me. But I, one scene in particular that I just want to – highlight for him was that scene when he first gets those implants and it's not what he expected. And I I just think that that was just a masterclass in acting to see the confusion, the disappointment, him trying to analyze what is happening at the moment. He thought he was there. He thought he was back to normal. And I don't know, maybe this is like something about you know, the world we're living in where we have this idealized normal that we're all trying to get back to right now. And maybe it's not going to be exactly what we're hoping. You see that in his performance in that scene, he gets these implants. It's, he starts to hear sound and it's not what it used to be. Things have changed. Normal is different now for him. And I just found that scene to be so powerful and he handled it and he captured it so well. 
I loved that performance. It didn't make my list, but I, I, I wanted it to. It just didn't end up making it. I'll have more to say. All right. Um, Jeremy, why don't you go ahead and uh, give us your number five? It's uh, Sean Parks from Mangrove. Sean um, Parks. It's it, everything you need to know about his performance is summed up when that during that verdict scene in this movie, mm-hmm. because similar to Trial of the Chicago Seven, there's up I don't know I eight people on trial here, and nine. yeah nine nine people nine. on trial yep. here, but Steve McQueen decides to start with his verdict because he is the main character. Um, and the camera's a close-up on him as it's read, spoiler alert, that he's not guilty. But instead of then cutting to each individual person afterwards... McCoy the judge going, order, order! No, but <laughs> even even to like the other people whose ver- lives that these verdicts yeah. are going to determine, um, they he stays on Parks as Parks sort of just breaks down emotionally. It's one of the best scenes of the year. It's one of the best performances, performances of the year. And what I really, really liked about it was that he's sort of a reluctant and unwilling participant in this most of the time all he fucking wants to do is have a restaurant and he gets involved and is directly in the middle of this racial uprising and he really doesn't want to be a part of it he just wants to be left alone and Mm -hmm. i think that's such a brilliant decision to have our main character be so reluctant but eventually you know, go there. Um, so, yeah, you again, see, this is, one, you of these, see this is one of these categories where I'm just like, that should be maybe best of the year. But I'm looking at my um, the the rest of them, and oh, you God. see in his, you see a strong, you see a strong and smart character that has just been broken down by a corrupt system, right? And like, just wants to be left. Like at, at the end of the day, just doesn't want to deal with it. Yep, and but. It's it, he, yeah. I, I love that performance. Um, my number five is Hugh Jackman from Bad Education. I I loved him in this movie. Yeah, and he is really he, good. I'm glad he got he, mentioned. Yeah, he's he an honorable stole, mention. He stole this number five spot from like three different people. I have to be honest. Um, I mean, he ha- he is as as convincing as an actor in this movie as his character needs to be. He you need to believe him in this movie plain and simple if you and if you believe his character that allows this movie to work it allows the twists in the movie to work it allows the surprises it allows everything to unfold as it does and i just love the authenticity of him look we i think we all really like hugh jackman right like the prestige he's great in and i think he's good in a lot of movies obviously he's best known for Wolverine and things like that, but I don't think he's considered a top tier actor, but maybe he should be because has he ever been bad? And I think he's excellent in this movie. I think it's a shame that he's not being more uh, recognized for his performance in this because I think he capitalizes on the strength of strength of the screenplay and he plays into the layers and the dimensions of his character perfectly. 
and and just nails this character and makes this movie work. And and look, like I, I think a lot of things about this movie are good, but Alice and Janney at times is good, but also I think at times overacts and Jackman does not. And I think he handles the material perfectly. Yeah, I totally agree. He was on my list, but was knocked off by some of the performances, but he is just, I, I, I do think he is great and, and, and really like underrated in a way. Like he just, he's totally. just, I think people, I think people put him in like a B, yeah, like a B actor. And, and he's turn, not, but and, I think and, he's a, a list. And honestly, I, I really great. admire him for taking this role, like, like an HBO movie that, you know, really interesting material and like a, like a really interesting character the the real life person um, that he plays looks nothing like uh, Hugh Jackman, but um, few do. Few but, do. Uh, but isn't this just like proof that like that does no, not matter? Stop well, trying to make your actors. No, but look I mean, like I, the, I think that's like, important because like this is what this guy wanted to look like, is or maybe thought. Yeah, thought oh, it's all about. Point. Yeah, yeah. His character is yeah. about vanity and so. and like. This is this is such an extraordinary movie, and you know it's it's not going to be any out of the rest any of my lists going forward. But I really enjoyed it, and I really enjoyed his. This performance. is so funny because I, I just have to point this out because it it from what it sounds like, it doesn't seem like bad education is going to be on any of your lists. But you guys is like praise of this movie, for lack of a better term, is what encouraged me to rewatch it, and ultimately what made it get two nominations from me. Yeah. So well, which that's is good. Yeah. I think that's great. Um, all right. Uh, Chapin. That's uh, John Boyega in red, white, and blue. Oh, wow. all right. I love that. I, I, I would love to get him on this. Cause we made another, Chapin watch it. <laughs> another honorable um, mention. So I feel bad because, uh, ugh. Chadwick Boseman is not going to be on my list. And, uh, and I don't want to associate two very different acting roles. And just because they're two black guys, that, that doesn't mean that they're com- going to be compared, but they are in sort of similar circumstances. You know, they're up against it. Uh, they're, they are dealing with racial um, prejudice and, and, and are very frustrated and, and, but I just think this is a much more subtle nuanced and, uh, layered performance than, than Bozeman's. And, and I just say that just because he knocked Bozeman off of, of this spot. Um, you know, I watched red, white and blue in the last, you know, the last maybe 10 days or so. And um, I don't know. I, I, I found his performance in this much more um, sort of relatable than, than a Chadwick Bozeman's and, and um you know, Boyega's been like really disserved by the Star Wars movies where he broke out. You know, he was pegged as like there was a sort of misdirect that I believe was the J.J. Abrams making, thinking that John Boyega was going to be the Jedi in the film, where of course it was mm-hmm. um, Daisy Ridley, uh, and and you know he's just this like funny kind of not a very developed character in the star Wars films. And, and he's just clearly just such a good actor. And, uh, Steve McQueen saw that in him. And I'm, and I, I hope that this means that this, this guy gets, a, gets better served because I, I didn't like his characters in the star Wars films. And, 
I, maybe part of me blamed him, blamed the actor for that, but it's clear that it's not his fault. It's just that, you know, and, and he, he, he complained about it publicly, you know, feeling that I think during the, I think he was very sort of vocal and, and present in the British protests of the George Floyd killings. And I think this came out similar uh, around that same time that he was unhappy with how he was portrayed in the Star Wars films. And I totally don't blame him. He's an extraordinary actor that was evident in red, white, and blue. And he's got a lot to say as a performer. Um, and I hope he's not, I, I think this is, this is a trap we should be cautious of moving forward that in these big budget films, you know, you can't just check a box. You can't just have a black actor in one of the three main roles. You really need to give that person a, a, a yeah, material to yeah. do things with. And um, I think there's lessons to be learned here. Yeah, I love that. And I think, I don't think it hasn't been tried with him, though. I just think this is the best material. Yeah, I mean, I just, I point to Detroit, a movie I worked on. I never saw him. that, so I'm, um, I'm sure it's, yeah. But I, it's not a great movie. Um, I don't think the material was there, but like it was, it, it tried to be, it tried to be what this is. Like it tried to give him that and he did, he served it it's well. A, it's just the material, it just wasn't, it wasn't good enough. It's it, amazing it's, it's a that big like these fall. small acts movies, how they just like put to shame these other more popular movies with more popular filmmakers that tried something similar, you know, with Detroit, with, with Catherine Bigelow and Trial of Chicago 7 with Aaron Sorkin. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, Red, White, and Blue is certainly like the most in engaging movie outside of Mangrove of the Small X series. And I think Boyega's performance was great. He didn't make my list, but it was cert he was an honorable mention for sure. My number four is John Magaro from First Cow. Um, honorable mention. I, you know, I like John Magaro, you know, I, uh, relatively recently, I'm sure like many people amongst the, um, game stop, uh, thing, I, I rewatched the big <laughs> short, which he's got a small part in and, and he's actually like really awesome in that movie. But what it's, this is such an interesting performance. It's such a behind the, or, or I guess like, like, the quiet take a take a step back quiet performance from him but it just like says so much um you know I, one thing that i kind of took away on my rewatch of first cow is like how analytical his character is because like if you really watch it and pay attention like you could make the argument that he's not totally on board with his friend king lou's idea <laughs> to steal this milk and make these biscuits and sell them he seems like maybe that he's like this is not a good idea this is going to end badly for us and I think like all that stuff combined with just, you know, all the obvious basic things, the line delivery, the, you know, the unspoken moments, I think that elevates his performance to a point where I just was like, this is, this is a great actor, like really understanding what this movie is about. And I, I just really liked that he had this like, like sort of like constant analyzing going on you could see it every time in every scene where where king lou who has the majority of the dialogue is is talking to him you can see him processing and trying to put the pieces together and trying to figure out what the best plan is and that's a hard thing for an actor to portray you know we all experience it we all either do it ourselves or see people try to you know 
analyze something quietly, but you see that portrayed on screen in his character. And I don't know, I think, I think that analytical aspect of his character was, was really, really cool for me to watch. And I think added a layer to this movie that I don't think I really got the first time around, but I loved it when I, when I revisited this movie. Uh, all right. My number four is Riz Ahmed from sound of metal. Um, Chapin, you, you kind of said everything I was going to, but I do want to emphasize one point of this. And it's the fact that he's, his character sort of went from anger to acceptance twice in this film first when he lost his hearing and then to the point where he sort of accepted his hearing loss and was in the community was teaching kids sort of built his own life and then again when he got the implants and then realized that they weren't everything he thought they were gonna be um and i thought that was that's really, really difficult to do. And he's just, he's a character that clearly his past has a huge part of his presence. Like the past we don't see as an audience member with his, his drug use was, it it is a big part of what we actually see as an audience member. And I don't know how you do that as an actor without showing it. There's no flashbacks to him in an alley doing heroin you know there's no there's none of that but we know that's all there um and i i I mentioned this on the sound of metal podcast and i think this i think he does also a great job in this movie in general does a great job of not going down the route of the the misery porn aspect of it because it could get there there could be those big scenes those fuck my life scenes that just uh, wouldn't work and i think this this restrains from that while at the same time showing you what this guy is going through um and i'll take this time to to talk about the sound design because it's not a category for the fixies but i mean wow like that's so in it innovative what it did with sound design and bringing you as an audience member in and out um which which added to this performance i think as well but uh i mean when i first watched it i think this was up there i thought this is very well could be my favorite performance of the year um but yeah we'll we'll keep going down all right makes me excited for your top three Chapin, your number That'd three. That'd be uh, Mads Mikkelsen, another round. Yes, I'm wow. so glad. I'm so glad this made your list. So this was one of, this was one of the three, nearly number fives for me that just didn't end up making it. Chapin, let um, me hear what you have okay. to say. Okay, so I I kind of went back and forth. You know, I mean, you guys are sure I'm sure familiar with how this works, but you know, Hugh Jackman was on my list, and he and Mads were kind of changing categories here mm-hmm. look like he like this movie is is about his arc um he has that great scene where you know like this movie is all about alcohol consumption there they go out to dinner with their friends on a birthday and he hasn't been out with them in a while 
and he's had a couple drinks. He decide he decides to drink when he decide you know initially was not going to. We've all been there before. <laughs> like and, uh, right now, and, no. uh, you know he's had too much to drink, and he's he starts talking about feeling kind of disconnected from his life, and starts to sort of like tear up and well up in front of his in front of his friends, and and that kind of kicks off this the the plot of the movie and. Um, kind of culminates with this like, you know, all out like dance at the end of the movie that that is amazing. Uh, and is and amazing. he's a former he's a dancer, and that's cool. But 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 really, like that scene is just like, I don't know. It's 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 so unexpected and um, kind of like inspiring in a way, like freeing. Um, and 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 his like what he's going through in this film, you know, is a little, it's sort of, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like I, I can relate a lot to it. At, you know, at, at this time in my life too. And, and uh, it was particularly poignant and, and, and connected with me in a way that um, I just couldn't deny. And so that's why he is number three and I love him and I love him I, and I, everything he's in. Every time I watch him, I, I love his stuff. The, the unreleased Arctic podcast. Right. right yep. <laughs> Um, I, I love the pick tape and I really, I, I, I have to be honest. I kind of wanted him to be my number five over Jackman, but it was just one of those instances like you're describing where it was like back and forth and back and forth. You know, he has, there's two instances in this movie where I don't know why this resonated with me so much, but I think it just said so much about like what, who his character was at that point in the movie. It's at the dinner scene. And then it's again, when he has this kind of parent teacher conference that is sprung on him and you know, the other actor, the other characters say something to him and he just says, he just says, okay. And it's just like, it's a combination of just like his resignment in life. And also like, what do you want me to do about it? Type of attitude that then changes a little bit over the course of the movie but it's never completely abandoned and it's delivered so well both times. And I don't, I, I don't really mm. know why that, that line delivery stuck with me so much, but I just, the, when I thought about him as a best actor candidate for me, I was like, that, that is it though. Like his delivery of that and him being able to portray this mindset, this part of life that he's in and how he feels about it all summed up in that one word worked work for me yeah for and some i also reason. have to say like um it's unusual that we experience an actor speaking what is probably his second or third language and we, we're used to him and know him as that you know but then we see him go back to his native language and yeah he's just as good as he's ever been um which i think speaks more to his english language performances than it does to this one sure um yeah. but like clearly a, a very intelligent and and um comprehensively talented actor. What what always amazes me about him is he overcomes his face. Yeah. yeah. Which 
basically, when you look at him, you see him as a Bond villain or uh, Hannibal. <laughs> like he has sort of an evil face, but he he overcomes that and is able to be empathetic in movies like this, which I I thought he was good in. Um, the Hunt, which I thought he was fantastic in. I haven't seen that. That's the same uh, director as Another Round. Yeah, he's unreal in that movie. Um, yeah, I, I, he gets a lot of credit for that, which is not something you'd normally have to say for an actor. All right, Jeremy, you're number three. Uh, Gary Ooh. Oldman in wow. Meg. I thought our number ones and number twos were going to be written in stone. Well, uh, nope. Go ahead, Jeremy. It's Gary Oldman in Mank. I mean, it's it's an amazing performance. Um I feel like I, I want to wait on yeah. my criti- not critique, but my my talking points of it until we sure. get to yours, um, and we have a discussion. But wait. let's just say, let's just hang there. Well, I I don't know. I don't, okay. I will we'll hold off on that. My number three is Chadwick Boseman from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, look, I, I I think it's inevitable we're gonna have this this talk like. And we, and we mentioned on the podcast, it's going to be like, okay, why why is Bozeman getting so much credit for this movie, right? Is it that is of course he passed away, and like, do we want to do we want to credit his career as a whole? What is it, right? And and I think I, I don't think that's entirely unfounded because there's a lot of people who are praising his performance in The Five Bloods, which is just forgettable. It's not an important performance at all. And I would make the argument that the roles that he's played are important, but his, a lot of his performances in general are not, that is not the case here. This is a great performance in this movie. Um, and I think the most credit I can give to him is, has to do with the end of this movie, which I don't think really works, but I was okay with because of how I saw his character breaking down over the course of this movie. And you see it through the monologues, you see it, th- see it through the simple lines of dialogue throughout, you see it in his face. And I think his actions at the end of this movie are warranted because of all of that that you see from his performance. Not necessarily what's in the script as much, but his performance gets you there. And I think it works because of that. So I think he deserves all the credit he's been getting for his performance in this movie. Um, he's going to win Best Actor at the Oscars. And, you know, I don't we'll we'll find out shortly uh, whether or not we agree with that um but you know i think he leaves behind a legacy that's important and what, i want to he's I your number respect that. He's, he's my number, number three. three okay yep i i, I want to respect the legacy that he's left behind absolutely i think he's he's an important person in history in movie history and and cultural history and uh i hope that his legacy lasts um and part of me hopes that this is a movie that is talked about and this performance is uh, part of that legacy. And it's not just Black Panther and Jackie Robinson and, and Thurgood Marshall that he's played over the course of his career in, in lesser movies. Um, I hope that people talk about this performance as a benchmark of, of what he was as an actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel really badly that he is not on my list and, um, I, I just think I just could not escape the theatrical nature of his performance. Um, it just, sure, I understand it wasn't modulated for film, but I think he's an extraordinary actor. And I, I mean, it's so sad. I was like weirdly touched when he passed away. I mean, he's not someone I, 
know a lot about or have ever even experienced much of his acting, but I thought he was like so good as the Black Panther. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, a lot of that attention went to uh, Michael B. Jordan, but I really thought he was had a subtle, extraordinary performance. I, I don't know why who, that who was we the case. all thought was overrated in that. Um, and but just like you know, this 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 is a like I think if I saw him on the stage, I would be I would have been blown away. And I knew, in a way, I was blown away by him in um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But um, it was just I don't know. I I I just had this thing about like maybe because I've 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 you know acted on the stage and directed people on the stage. Like I just think there's like a, there's you've got to modulate your performance that way. And I think just the way this film was written, it's just not. You know, th- I think my problem with that film is it felt too much like a stage production. Jeremy, I know you feel the same way. Um, so mm-hmm. I-, I had trouble getting over that for his performance. But I mean, it's clearly there. And I think it's a shame that. Yeah. Totally. Uh, Chapin, you're number two. Gary Oldman, Mank. <laughs> All right, guys, now is the time to have the conversation. I'll go ahead and tell you. So when. When we had the Mank podcast, I called this a historically good performance. Okay. And I can't, I, I'm not going to have an argument for this. And I will accept any pushback I get. But he didn't end up making my mm. list somehow. Wow. And I think it's a weird, wow. It's a weird, like, I, I ended up in this weird spot. I was just like, okay, do I listen to myself three months ago or do I listen to myself now? And this is a credit to the other performances that are on my list. I still really love this Gary Oldman performance, but he was my clear-cut number six. And it just kind of fell down the list a little bit. And, you know, I I, I want to hear what you have to say, Chapin, and, and you too, Jeremy. But, like, it was Thanks. just a very strange, like, scenario where, like, your your opinion just, like, clearly changes. Like, it was off my list, and then I went back recently and listened to the Mank podcast and heard myself call it a historically good performance. I was just like, wait a second. My list doesn't suggest that. What am I supposed to do? And I had to make this decision to, like, should I listen to myself now and how I feel at the moment or listen to myself then? And obviously, this is an example of how, like, our opinions evolve and change. And it might change more in... I will regret not putting Gary Oldman among my nominees. And and you guys will probably tell me now that I will I will certainly regret that. But I, I just I found that to be a very probably um, common but strange scenario that yeah, I you was will, in. You will certainly regret that, I think. Um I think his performance is it's one of those that's so complicated in a weird way that it's hard to talk about. Like what does he do? that's that's super unique and then like what is what is he doing that's different and i feel like he just holds the weight of this movie so easily and 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 fluidly that i i I don't know how somebody really is able to do that because he's such a flawed character ultimately but he's such a likable and smart character at the same time i mean like it's easy to talk about like um uh seafried because that performance is 
you know, she's charming and she's a little ditzy and a little fun. Like you can, you can point at things with it. Whereas with Gary Oldman's performance, he just kind of is mank. He's just like this curmudgeon old guy that, that is smarter than every, the smartest guy in the room. Every time he walks in, totally understands the world around him, but has a terrible alcohol problem that doesn't really seem to matter other than it ultimately kills him. Um, but you know, like he played. I don't know. Like, there's not one thing you can really point to that say, "Oh, Gary Oldman did that good." He just kind of did it all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're 100 percent right. And like, it, it really just came down to when I was making my list. I was just like, the I like these five performances more. And I again, I I don't know. It all it's all an ever evolving scale, but. I, I and just he's found so charming it... too. That's the other thing. It's like, what a charm plot. <laughs> Chapin, so what are the, uh, what are you? There's this I mean, scene I, I... in The Professional that is often, um, yeah, exactly. Everyone. That is often like you see it on Instagram, <laughs> and and he yells, "Bring me everyone!" And evidently, his his claim of that scene is that he was doing it to make. Luc Besson laugh. Oh, okay, Gary. Um, but it's just like, it's like a normal line and he just does it so over the top. And that's basically <laughs> his MO for that movie and a lot of other movies. And, but the difference with Mank is that like the dialogue is so clever that he kind of has to take a step back instead of like taking a piece of dialogue and shouting it and putting his twist on it. He's got to kind of like, find a more subtle way to take this dialogue as like a little, like a rapier and like kind of stab people with it. And that's his little, that's his little piece of, that's his like defense mechanism is, is his verbal mm-hmm. repartee. And he does such a good job with it. And like I said, I, I, I don't see Gary Oldman and Fincher as being like compadres. And so I, I, I find it fascinating that he was able to adapt his style to this, to Fincher's film and direction. And, um, I mean, the movie's called Mank. He is Mank. Uh, like we, you love him, but you see his flaws and, and that's hard for someone like Oldman, who is, I think like, you know, I saw a clip of him as Winston Churchill. I haven't seen that Winston Churchill movie. I, I, uh, I'd like to at some point, but I saw a clip of him and it I almost started to laugh because it's like him yelling in this awful fat suit and like, this is what he won the Oscar for. Ugh. But, but, but really like <laughs> this is just, this is, this is acting and, and, and you know, yeah. it's not what we think of Gary Oldman doing shouting and yelling. He's, he's, he's gotta be there and he's all, you know, often he's laying down. You know, he's got his head on a yeah, pillow. Yeah, He's it, got to express to us yeah. this, like, you know, this, like, sword play, but with dialogue. Yeah, it's weird. It's like it's like Gary Oldman is, like, the Shakespearean Nicolas Cage. That's kind of how we think of him. Like, elevated Nicolas yeah, exactly. Cage. That he's always just yeah. Yeah. Ah, uh, yelling, and look, but... I, I didn't... He didn't... I didn't leave him off my list to be controversial. I lo- I love this performance, and I I really really love Gary Oldman. I mean, I have loved him since Air Force One, and I know he even goes back way further than that for 
you know, Sid and Nancy fans and and so on and so forth. But like, I, I love him as an actor. And I love the fact that he is a mainstream actor now and, and gets big, important roles in big, important movies. So it was interesting that like, I, I, I was so high on him when we did the Mank podcast and he ultimately just, for whatever reason, fell down to number six on my list, which is still, if you think about it, admirable when I saw 81 movies this year. But it just is, that's just kind of how it ended up falling. Jeremy, what's your number two? Uh, it's Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, yep. which I was 100% sure was going to be my number one after I saw it. It is one of those movies. felt that way. Yeah, it is one of those those performances where going into it, I it just shows how terrible of a cynic I am. I'm just like, ah, <laughs> I know this isn't that great, and it's because he just passed, and we're there. He's gonna get the Oscar because, and I literally those those are that's my thought process going into this movie, and I 100% agree with you, Chapin, as far as the theatricality of that movie um but i don't think it really ruins his performance in any way shape or form i thought he is as good as everyone thinks he is in this movie um without him this movie doesn't work uh it's kind of weird like obviously um viola davis is extraordinary as well but just there's something about his energy in this film that it's so chaotic and keeps it, you it on your to toes. Yeah. He, he's, he's just, he's fucking great in this movie. And I thought there was nobody that was going to beat him in this category. Um, but here he is at number two and let's talk about well, my number. No- okay. Well, my right. number two, my yeah. number two, I, I had the same thought. Ever since I saw it, I thought this was the performance of the year. This was my clear-cut number one. There was no performance better. I even had literally in my notes, this is the performance of the year until I had to change it. It's Sean Parks in Mangrove. Oh. Um, I just knocked over my champagne bottle. No worries. Of course, of course it's empty. It's we're empty. Best, we're a best actor, for God's sake. Yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean Parks in Mangrove. I, I, I just... I loved this performance. I talked about it, like the strong and smart character that is just being broken down by a corrupt system. Like he doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to be involved in this. He wants to run a restaurant. He wants to be left alone. That scene where he is taken into custody during the trial and it's this low angle shot that McQueen decides to take kind of a a sun blasted background almost washed out background overhead and he's talking about these wicked men and calling them skunts which is a great word that um i just think is just a a tour de force performance like this this is what this is what everybody is trying to give fucking sasha baron cohen credit for in trial of chicago seven which i'm a hundred percent this is he if if not for um probably daniel kaluuya Sasha Baron Cohen is gonna would win an Oscar for that performance, and I actually think it is legitimately bad. And, I agree. I think and, he's bad in that movie. And and Sean Parks is so fucking good at this role of the tortured, 
person that just wants to live his life and, and is persecuted for his beliefs. Or, or not, no, that, that's not even true. He's not even persecuted for his beliefs in this movie. He's persecuted for his race in this movie, which is even worse. And like, I just think what what he does in this movie like is is epic and i loved this performance he owns this movie um you know this like i i said about kingsley benadir i was pushing you guys for that to be a lead performance i was really pushing to make sure that this was a lead performance because at the time i was like this is my performance of the year this is my best actor of the year and here it is at number two <laughs> because we all went and saw the fucking father and Anthony Hopkins wait, wait, wait. number. So we shall say number like, one, Tom Hanks, Greyhound, Tom Hanks and Greyhound. <laughs> uh, Anthony Hopkins went and just like, just I, I honestly like, think redefined that... what acting is. Anthony Hopkins in The Father is one of the best performances of all time. I'm going to go ahead and say it right there. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's the performance of the year, right, guys? We have, doing... to, we have to announce it every podcast. Yeah. Last year, it was, it was Saoirse Ronan, performance of the year for Little Women. I don't remember what it was the year before, but uh, Timothy Chalamet. Hopkins, Chalamet for Beautiful Boy, Beautiful Boy. It is Anthony Hopkins for The Father, the performance yeah. of the year. I mean, the... and and the irony is he won't win the Oscar because of Chadwick Boseman, which well, yeah. Is... So ultimately, we were we're, we're kind of correct on that, but yeah. um, yeah. And 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 for people wondering like what, why this performance? Why like what makes it? It's because he's he's doing things that you've never seen portrayed on film before. He's communicating with his eyes like there's moments where he just his lack of understanding is so clear without him saying anything and i don't know how you do that like you recognize that like i get how you recognize that in somebody you know and love like if you're you're close to somebody and they have a moment of like where where they're confused or they don't they don't understand something and you you see the panic in them like you 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 sort of jump to their rescue because you can see it in them because you know them and you love them but he's able to communicate that to a wide audience with just looks and it's it's something i've never seen before Chapin you you know i, I we don't have to spend a, we just had the father podcast and I think you talked about this a lot. Not that any of us have ever been anything but, you know, praiseworthy of Anthony Hopkins. But you have mentioned on a number of occasions how big a fan you are of Hopkins. I, talk a little bit about just like you, how excited you are that he's a fixie. Yeah, winner. no, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I think it's so easy for actors in there. I mean, he's 83 um, to, 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 you know, like. I mean, they're thinking about their legacy, which is good, but also they're like thinking about leaving their kids millions of, you know, generational wealth. So they, you know, he's, he's in the last Transformers movie. Actually, he's kind of good in that too. Fun. Um, uh, I think I saw that movie out of plane, but yeah, like I, 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 he's an extraordinary actor and, and this is like, it's so rare because when people are of this age, especially for women, but it doesn't really count in this um, uh, category, there aren't that many interesting roles for 
people of this age. And so when, you know, you have a role that comes along where you're, you're playing roughly the same age that you are and you're at, you're, you know, you're thinking about the end of your career. Um, this, this is such a brave, extraordinary move. And I'm, and I'm so glad that he did it because, um, I think, I think it, it's, it's hard to find these things. And, and, and so much of like Hollywood and, 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 and not just Hollywood, but just like just filmmaking in general is like coincidences sort of coming together in, in a, in a, in a way that like, just as it's, it's, it's like one in a million really like, like this, you know, maybe this movie wouldn't have been written as well, or, or maybe they would have cast someone lesser than Anthony Hopkins and it wouldn't have worked. Like so many things have to come together and work for it to become extraordinary. And that's what happened here. And uh, so much of that credit goes to Anthony Hopkins. Uh, well, there's no surprise. The Fixie award goes to Anthony Hopkins for the father um, sans his performance, things might have gotten interesting. Chadwick Boseman and Gary Oldman both tied in wow. points, 11 points. Sean Parks was in third place with nine points. Um, what do we well do deserved, in case certainly. of a tie? Uh, we've got a few tiebreakers in place um, that uh, you know we, we can address. We had a very rare situation last year where I think three tiebreakers still tied, and that's why we had the tie for best cinematography with um, Parasite and last black man in San Francisco. Hi, my name is Lydia and I wanted to talk about one night in Miami. I thought that the conversations were so important uh, and still relevant today. I thought the performances were beautiful. And for a movie that takes primarily just in one room, I found it to be extremely enthralling from start to finish. So I hope to see it on your list at Get Your Film Fix. All right, moving on to best actress of the year uh jeremy you're gonna kick things off with your number five here uh i seem to be on an island with this one but it's rada blank from uh the 40 year old version again i just really was charmed by her in this movie um i thought she was super funny super original i liked what she had to say um i uh, i don't know what else like well she was great I did. I didn't. You, I, I, re, I respected your screenplay nomination for this. I didn't mention it at the time. I, I thought she was kind of bad in this movie. I have to be honest. I did really? not think she was good. Yeah. Oh no. I thought she, she had was her great. moments, but like, I thought she was original in herself, and like, I, I, I don't see her doing a lot else. Like, I think sure, she kind yeah. of is this character, but right. I think she plays this character. But, I mean, really her name well. is Rada Blank in the movie. She that is her. Right, and that's why I, do, I don't really right. see Right, but it, sometimes like, you can see that. But and maybe then, but it's like still Woody Allen plays, and... like, like Chapin said, Woody Allen plays Woody Allen in every movie he's in, so maybe she can do do that sort of thing. I, I think that there were times, I, I, I will admit that I, I might have been overly critical of it. Like, they were just like, on like a scene-by-scene basis, I'd be like, oh, like she didn't deliver that line well. And maybe big picture, she actually performed well. And... And I just didn't give her the credit she deserved. But I also, but, did you not think she was funny and like her comedic timing was really good? At times, at times, yes. But I told you, I, this movie just didn't I work for the, me. So the, like, the, I'm not she, like the people she performs off of and the editing were just film schoolish to me. And and I think that hurt her performance. But she, which I like, oh, which okay. I liked oh, about moving it. Moving on. Okay, now who's who's well, 
Yeah, moving on. So, Jeremy, that was your number 15 for Best Actress? That's number five. Okay. All right, my number five is Viola Davis from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Jeez. Um, so I, I have to say, like, I actually really, really loved this performance, and it was initially higher on my list until very recently when I was kind of doing my final adjustments. It, it a little bit came down to the fact that she's just not actually in the yeah, movie all that more much. Like a supporting um, role for me. It does feel like a supporting role, and that knocked her down the list. But like, what a presence! And and this is it's weird to make this comparison aside from the fact that she's in both movies, but the the strength combined with the vulnerability that she has in this is so much better than what mm. is portrayed in Widows, which is just like so on the nose. And like I've been like totally high on Steve McQueen on this Fixie Award show so far, but Widows was not a movie that worked for me. And I think it's just like it's so obvious in that where she's like got lines of dialogue saying like nobody thinks we have the balls to pull this off where here she is just like broken but she well, just she, has she no choice a, but to be strong and she needs a theatrical original um, piece she i told you i confessed Maybe, to you yeah. guys on the last episode that i'd watched black hat again she is extraordinary and a standout in performance in black hat as a kind of like fbi what bureaucrat it, um and i don't uh, want to give okay. That, yes, I don't want to give Mann, too much right? away, but her last scene is extraordinary. Um, and I don't know, she just brings so much like authority, but also empathy to her roles that, uh, yeah, I don't know. She's an extraordinary actress. Look, yeah, I, she's, I, she's was one a... of those that like, there's two performances of hers that I just think are unbelievable and everything else I could take or leave and it's it's mm. doubt and this performance in Ma Rainey's I think she's extraordinary in both um so, and so I, she is go ahead no and I just haven't really seen that in in when she has lesser material she doesn't necessarily elevate it I that think I've that seen is I think that's a very good point I agree with that 100% there was a, a article re- written recently I think and I don't know what the numbers are, but she is she's making Oscar history essentially this year by being the most nominated black actor ever um, for the Oscars. And and I think that that is warranted in many senses that she's an extraordinary actress and she can do a lot with good material. But I do agree with you, Jeremy, that it doesn't it doesn't seem like she can do something like what I said with Lakeith Stanfield, where like it's not there he takes it to another level. But that all that aside, I think in this movie, she just commands the screen in the way that that character needs to. She's and, in um, Untitled Harriet Tubman Project. Wonder who she's playing. Because <laughs> there'll probably only be one black woman in that movie, Jeremy. Um, okay. Uh, where are we at? Chapin. Um, mine is five, Becky Baccaray from Rocks. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Buki Baccaray. Uh, yeah. This is this is much I like the Yelitsia Aparicio performance in Roma. I, I believe a relatively real person. Relatively real. I mean, like a an inexperienced, like a, not a non-actor playing. <laughs> yeah, no, she... She had never acted. She was they yeah, plucked and, her and, out of and high school. When I first started, I was like, "Oh God, another one of these like real performances." Like, and I, you know, I I was sort of 
had enough of that from um I'm sorry we missed you but uh she really just evolved and and you know you I'm in my or rather my thinking evolved around her performance like she was just able to handle these like incredible moments where she um is just at her wits end and kind of betrays her friends like tells her friends off you know the people who are there for her the most and um you know she she doesn't sort of have the look that we're we're used to and i think she handles that extraordinarily and then there's that sort of last moment which i won't give away but it's not like it's a big surprise or anything um with her brother that i think is just handled so well and and um and really it just um (laughs) You know, I I'd be satisfied if every year there was like an amateur, like you know, there's the, the there's always that we're or recording this simultaneously with the masters, and there's always an amateur perform uh, golfer who makes the cut and is you know comes in like you know a couple strokes under, and 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 I'd be happy with that being on a fixie list every year because I think yeah. these people bring something different to these movies. Um, you know, they may not be career, like we haven't seen Alicio Aparicio in another movie since sure, Roma, right. but um, that doesn't mean their performances are any less valid. And um, there's right. And I want to, I, I want to add to that uh, an honorable mention for my best supporting actress was Kosar Ali. Who I was, thought she was yep, a friend of hers. Yeah. 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 She was so good. Yep. Um, and Buki uh, Bakre also like so her character obviously is put into a situation where she needs to be mature and be an adult, but her performance is so mature. Like I, I, I read some about some things about this. Like they literally they went to high schools and just like tried to find people. Like I mean, they just basically like and they all, her out of nowhere. She wasn't even an aspiring like, actress necessarily. Movie too, which I thought was cool. Maybe maybe this is not the right time to have this this discussion but i i am curious why so many movies this year are doing took, this took that approach and so many of the movies that we've talked about here on the fix season have gotten nominations yeah it's interesting wins. i we know we've talked about it before like i typically don't like the idea behind going to get non-actors but like there's just such a I, I I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental because if you go get a quote unquote non actor and they can act well, then what's the problem? Like, or maybe they like, figured out the the system to make it work. Yeah, I don't know. I I I think she's across. Like, there's also like overlapping dialogue throughout Rocks that is just a sign of good acting when you can handle that type of scene, and it's just really good. And 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 Buki Bakre along with Kosar Ali, who is a, also an honorable mention for me. Like the way that they talk to each other and interact is so true and authentic. I loved this performance, Jape, and I'm I'm really glad it was on your list. I thought uh, um, we weren't going to hear much about that. Uh, uh, where are we at, Jeremy? You're number four. Uh, it's Zendaya from Zendaya. Malcolm and Marie. Um, Zendaya, that's who it is. Yep, though. Uh, <laughs> Not Zendaya. Zendaya. Yeah, there's two Zend- of them. Zendaya was an honorable mention. I thought she was great in this film, and the one scene where I, I realized she was going to be a fixie nominee was the one where she pretends yeah. to commit suicide, and I was just, I was ready to turn the movie off and being like, okay, this movie just jumped the shark right here, this is over the top, and then she smiles and goes, oh, 
I am a good actor. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you are a good actor. Well, it's um, interesting. Like she, she plays and, against John David Washington, who we had all seen in Tenet before and had different reactions to, but we, we've liked him in the past. And she just, I mean, literally, it literally is just like acting circles him. around him. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it, yeah. So I'll tell you what I, what what Mal, what her performance in Malcolm Murray did is made me want to see her in a, a more nuanced role. What's more, yeah, I, I, mean, I, don't I agree was with a very that. nuanced role. I yeah, no, it's I think not. It was a very it's so obvious. Role. It's no. It's just a. It's just the problem with Malcolm Murray is it's just like written for. And this was intentional. And this is like what they thought they had to do to make a movie. And I'm not holding this against them, but they basically wrote a movie where they could put two good actors in a room performing scenes. That sounds like, great to me. And no, I'm not taking anything away from that idea, but it, it just felt very obvious to me. I would love to see her take that talent that she portrays here and and put it into something a little bit deeper and a little bit more interesting. And 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 I'm not taking anything away from her performance. She was an honorable mention for me, but. It's not what I'm looking for in a performance specifically. Yeah, I just wanted I, more. So I, I, I want something a little bit more was, interesting. Was higher. On I will that say that um, I went into this thinking, you know, I had seen Zendaya in the Spider-Man movies, um, and she's a Disney star, I think, initially. That's where she got her start. And you know, I sort of thought of her as this kind of like Gen Z kind of like you know younger performer mm-hmm. who you know, has a big Instagram follower and, and, um, but this performance was so adult and she was so sort of, sort of sexy totally and true. kind of like age. I'd only seen and her in really Spider-Man. Like had a, yeah. and, and like, she had all this history despite being like, she's like 24, I think. And, and, uh, you know, performing against someone a lot older than her. And she just had an incredible amount of maturity and like, you know, like you feel like she could have, she was this model, um, who had a, had a great life story and, and it was just kind of a revelation well, in this. Film and she makes me. you to a credit to her. She makes you totally forget all that, that we know about her. You, you never at one at a single moment in this movie think, Oh, she, she's a Disney star. She was in Spider-Man. It's, you know, she's lost in the role. I I'm not taking any anything that, away from her way. performance. I just, I just want it. I, it, if anything, like I think it's a credit to say I, I can't wait yep. to see more from her. I just want it to be in a situation where it's not this. Again, this sounds way more pejorative than I want it to sound. I want it to be in a movie that wasn't forced because of the pandemic. You know what I mean? Like that the the reason this movie is what it is is because of what they. Thought I know what they you're saying. I think make. that's not giving the movie enough credit. But yes, I agree with you. Probably not. Probably not. Um, all right, my uh, my number four is Buki Bakre right. for Rocks. Um, and yes, I, said I love that you guys both had her. That's awesome. Um, Chapin, my your number, number four, four is Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man. Wow, she's always got to get some. Yeah, I mean she's. So... I mean that's just the thing about her, right? Like, but look, it doesn't matter. Like, the like movie. everything she's about this actress. film was just like taking, you know, the sort of. Bloomhouse, which this is a Bloomhouse movie. Bloomhouse movie kind of, you know, blueprint and elevating it. And she took she took that sort of like, you know, heroine who no one believes level to just like just she injected that with so much intelligence, which she did with 
I, what's, I forget her name in Mad Men, but like that, her character in Mad Men, she does that with her character in the little bit I've seen of um, Handmaid's Tale. She's just such an intelligent performer and she outthinks this really smart person who the, she outthinks the invisible man. And, and so, you know, you feel that kind of like sympathy that you would feel or that like emotional connection you would feel for that sort of heroine who is up against it. And you know she's right, but no one else does. But she twists it and injects it with a with a certain amount of intelligence that um makes that makes that what would ra- what would seem like a rather tired performance really come alive. So she, um, you guys, at least according to the spreadsheet, you guys didn't see the movie Shirley, which nope. is on Hulu that she stars in. And she plays kind of this like crazy eccentric writer, and that movie didn't work for me. I literally I, I marked it as a skip. What to, was the to... movie she did where she was the drug addict, rock and roll? The... Yeah, last year was uh... last year. Her smell. Know, she got not. Oh, you guys dominated her for that. Her smell. Yeah, yeah. Her smell. She was the she was the highlight of that movie. Of course, she's the highlight of all everything she does. And like Shirley, Shirley is not a good movie. I I marked it as a skip in our spreadsheet to kind of spare you guys. And, but like, she is, she is interesting in that movie. Like she, and this is what I was talking about before when we, when you nominated this as a screenplay, Chapin, that like Elizabeth Moss will always draw my attention if she's in a movie because she seems to choose interesting roles and they're not always working. They're not always good movies, but I love when actors do that. I want them to find interesting roles. I want them to find unique movies and she's a, a fantastic actress so if the other pieces can come together, we're likely to find something great when she's involved. So um, I, I'm glad that you have her for Invisible Man. It wasn't a movie that made any of my list, but I did like it. Um, and again, I think another credit to the Fixies. That's not a movie that, you know, the quote unquote award shows prestige will will remember. Um, but we talk about the good things throughout the year. Jeremy, you're number three. Uh, Vanessa Kirby pieces of a woman it's my only nomination for this film and I think she's the best part of this film um I think I weirdly I think Ellen Burstyn who gives one of the best performances of all time in Requiem for a Dream is overrated in this movie I don't think she's that great uh her character's overwritten yeah I think this is uh Vanessa Kirby's movie and she is able to she's able to carry it the problem is i don't think the movie is able to keep up with her i think she's better than the movie yeah look i so she was on my list at first um i i really like her performance in this movie and i i'm critical of scenes in movies that are there essentially to quote unquote win an oscar you know, we I think we saw that a little bit in Marriage Story, and it's clearly there in this movie. Although I don't know that it's going to pay off, but there's that very dramatic scene between her and Ellen Burstein where they're arguing. And I rewatched that scene, and I was like, God, like Kirby is just like expertly pulling this scene off. But it just to me felt like it was there more to highlight the acting than to serve the story. And I think that's where I took credit away from this performance as much as I liked it. Does mm-hmm. that make sense to you guys? Yeah. And yeah. And I think like 
like she's an actress that obviously I I think we're all going to mm-hmm. keep an eye on moving mm-hmm, forward. For sure. she, well, uh, one of the first I, must sees on the 2021 list is is The World to Come, which is available on VOD. We probably won't podcast about it, but it's one who I'm sure we'll all watch um, that she's in with Catherine Watterson. It's basically mm-hmm. the portrait of a lady on flyer slash <clears throat> Ammonite of, <laughs> of 2021. I don't know if I'll be able to. Um, Contain myself for that movie, but, but Kirby's supposedly great um, in it. <laughs> yes, uh, I would say so. So I just know from a little bit of research that she she has not had a child. So um, and Lee, you you touched on this a little bit earlier with your um, what, what you were saying about your experience with Lydia. Um, uh, the, her her performance was just uh, she she captured something that I don't think a lot of people know about um, these type of situations, and and I think. I, I I can't imagine understand having a comprehension of this kind of psychological state without being in it, but she captured it. Um, mm-hmm. and it feels very real to me. Um, I thought she was extraordinary in that. All right. My number three, I'm going to watch closely to see how, Chapin responds to this. Sydney Flanagan in Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. Watching closely. He sighs. Yeah, I mean she's got that great she's got that great thinking. scene, which is the best scene in the movie. And Okay. And and I think one of the best scenes of the year. And if we want to leave it there, I think that yeah, would be enough to there. warrant a nomination. Um no, I'm not gonna <laughs> leave it there because I have a lot to talk about with her performance. I mean, first of all, this is the second debut performance on my Best Actress nominee list with Buki Bakre. Um, but there is just, I just found it hard to take my eyes off her. Like I just, there's a, there's a stoic transfixing nature to her performance that I think is so important. And it, it is ob- obviously culminates in that, that pivotal scene where she's talking to the, the, the woman at, at the Planned Parenthood um, and and they're kind of breaking down her relationships and her her situation, and she's starting to cry. And it's just, it is one of the most powerful scenes that I've seen in years, and it, it I found it incredibly moving. And I just think that this movie, like, there's so much that I liked about it, but I think without the performance that she gives, which is a quiet, you know, a, a it's a quiet performance that makes a lot of effort to make sure it's not center stage. And I want to credit the direction to a certain extent for that, but I think for an inexperienced actress like Sydney Flanagan to be able to pull off just like the the quiet moments into in these scenes with her cousin and and the the guy that is, you know, constantly hounding them who upon revisit I actually think his performance is really good and that character is really well written. I think she handles it so well. Like you just see all the anxiety and all the nerves and all the stress that she's carrying with her in this scenario going through, again, a real moment. You know, this is a real person and a real moment. And this is this is one of the, you know, pivotal examples of what I was talking about where you see this in movies this year is just real people, real moments. Like that. this movie encapsulates that more than most movies did this year and I loved it so much. I thought her performance was so strong and I just love, you know, the camera, like I said, I gave this, this movie a, a nomination for 
cinematography, the camera holds on close-ups of her and you just see everything that she's thinking, whether it's a con- whether it's a, a phone call she makes to her mom when she doesn't say anything, whether it's when she's in that scene with the with the counselor, whether it's with her cousin, whether it's when she's actually having this procedure, all of these moments are so authentic and so real. I just I, I they worked a hundred percent for me. I loved this performance. It's one of those I, I definitely would need to revisit to have Which I told you guys to revisit. I texted okay. you guys multiple times to revisit this movie. Yeah, we also were trying to catch up with the 40 movies were behind you. Okay, fine. That's fair. Um, look, I thought that I thought the never rarely sometimes always uh, scene was extraordinary, but she was so unlikable <laughs> for the rest of the movie. And I okay. don't want to have a debate with you because we don't have time. This is our number 3. We're at 4 hours already, but but like well, that movie just like it 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 totally put me in their shoes. I've talked about this. Like it, it I told you guys last last week, it, it gave me something I didn't know that I needed, but it was just not enjoyable at all. That film was torturous in a way. And I realized that I needed to I needed to hear that uh in in some ways, but like um so I I even I even wrote down like I can understand if if you take that performance as dull in in some way but I I found it mesmerizing and I think Chapin like what you're saying like that that movie was in that performance is something that you needed to see as a credit to its power and and I think it's something we okay. should be talking about but um but yes let's move let's move on to your Mine's number Zendaya. 3 Chapin for uh Malcolm and Marie Great. and I've said what I wanted to say about that all right, Jeremy, you're number two. It's Viola Davis, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I mean, I just think this sort of defines when people say tour de force performance. Like, this is what yeah. it is. She just steals every scene she's in. She is the focal point of that movie. Um, obviously, we talked about Chadwick Boseman and how important he is, but they're never interestingly enough they're never really kind of going up against yeah. each other they're always they're, yeah. their best like scenes that. are off uh, like uh, it, they're they're not in the same room so um yeah i, I mean she, i think she's extraordinary so she so it she had been when i was just like messing around with my list she was as high as number two for me and Part of, like I said, part of the reason she moved down is just because of how little she's in the movie. But one scene that I just think is so evident of how good she is, and like she's so good in it that I like, I wanted to end up giving. I was like, should I nominate this kid as an actor for best supporting when she's insisting that her son or ne- is it her nephew? Um, yeah, nephew. I believe. Does does the intro, and like then when he finally nails it after like trying and trying because he has a stutter her performance like elevates his so much and that makes that scene work so well that i was just like give everybody a fixie everybody's doing such a good job here but yeah i i thought she is extraordinary in this movie i loved her again she fell down my list a little bit because of her screen time um all right my number two guys this is the last time this movie is going to come up on my lists i promise you but this is just a 
magnetic, incredible performance that does work despite the issues with the movie. It is Jesse Buckley, and I'm thinking of ending things. Wow. Um, I she's mean, the movie so... just didn't work enough for me to have any of these. Okay, and, and I agree with you, Chape, uh, Jeremy, that the, the movie <laughs> doesn't work, but the pieces do. Like the pieces are in place. Like the the Jesse Plemons is also great in this movie. The cinematography is great. The, there is a semblance of quality in the screenplay, but it just falls off the deep end. But Jesse Buckley is the the highlight of this movie. She is so good. I would agree with cha- that. Yeah. And she changes her performance. Like I was talking about the, with the cinematography, it's there to trick you. Things change, and Buckley is magnetic you cannot take your eyes off her all you want to do is watch her and she handles every aspect of this movie with with perfection like you every time something changes it changes because of how she changes and i i think the movie goes with her and if only kaufman could have like stuck the landing i think this could have been a uh, a fixie contender in a number of different categories but it doesn't it got <laughs> Kaufman's insecurities and, and craziness got the best of him and it went nuts. But Jesse Buckley is so good in this movie. I loved her. I, I can't wait to see what else she does. Um, Vanessa Kirby. Taping your number two. Of a ah, for fuck's sake. God damn it. Like our number, like our number ones are just so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been a, like, ooh. Greyhound. <laughs> <laughs> for best actress Japen. yeah that's she was so good he elevated her all right let's talk about francis mcdormand look, look like i hated in her in that awful movie that you loved three billboards outside of Maliculous estrada you loved i did not it. love that um, movie i liked that you movie. Loved that movie um it was it was my favorite movie ever but she like you know we've talked a lot about modulating with um olivia coleman you know, being able to dial back your kind of like Marge Genderson or your whatever her name was in that dumb movie billboards. Um, and, and she, and like, I, I think Jeremy, it was you who, who, who made this point. Like she's got to be able to sit there and like sort of react to the real person actor at the same time and, yep. and, and keep your performance in line with what's happening there. And, she does that, but she also brings the gravitas of a movie star to this to this part as well. And I think that's just like that dichotomy is so extraordinary. Um, and uh, I am so happy she's going to win the fixie here. Yeah. Um, and since we're going with themes, I mean, I think she sort of uh, shows us exactly like what that struggle with the American experience is like, is it, is it money? Is it family? Is it having a home? Is it friends? Like where she, she is trying to figure that out for herself right now. And she's living the life she feels she needs to live. And there's no judgment in her face. There's no judgment for anyone else and no judgment for herself. And that's the thing that I think is really interesting about her her performance there yeah two things to add i mean one is real people real moments again i'll just reiterate this and for her to insert herself into that 
is impressive because, you know, I just mentioned Sidney Flanagan, who is an inexperienced debut actor portraying herself as a real person in a real moment. That's an entirely different scenario than Frances McDormand, who is an incredibly seasoned two-time Oscar winner, now one-time Fixie winner, actress inserting herself into these real moments with these real people. I think it's extraordinary. And then not only that, there's just like very specific things about her performance that I like that you see, you see that she has a past where at maybe at one time she had to deal with like a certain level of shame with the way that she's chose to live her life. And now she's gotten to this point where she's just like very matter of fact about it. And, and she speaks that way. She's not ashamed of the fact that she lives a nomadic life. And it's that line of dialogue that for whatever reason sticks with me where she says, I'm not homeless. I just yeah. don't have yeah. a house or whatever. I don't remember exactly what it is. And it's, she just says it very matter of factly. And I just think that she's beyond the point now where she's dealing with the quote unquote shame if there should be any shame yeah, and, for and, living. And, also, this like, and there, I love that. There is, you know, like we, we seek to understand these you know, a lot of them are these real people. And then that guy that he's a, he is a real guy. I looked him up went into my research that he's got a YouTube page about people in van life and was inspired to do so when he saw some, a, a, a mother and her kids living in a van. And, you know, there you, you wonder, you know, your, your insight into those people <clears throat> are, is through Fern. It's not through the secondary characters that we see on the, on screen. And you start to understand it like she is charming in her Frances McDormand way, her movie star way. But also she injects this, this, you know, cautiousness with people. She's not quite as warm as she usually is. She's not quite as she's a little hesitant about every personal interaction she has, which I think is powerful. And you start to understand, Mm -hmm. oh, this is why people live in vans. Because they like connecting with people, but on their own terms. They don't want to live by these rules that society yeah. puts forth that we have to go to work and get along with people and, you know, you know, be married and blah, blah, blah. That she she likes people, but she likes them on her own terms. And we get that and we get that understanding of her. And I think that was that was such an insight for me and her character. All right. And the fixie goes to in a landslide victory, Frances McDormand for Nomad Land. Happy to hear that she's a fixie winner. Obviously, well Number deserving. Two, 21 points. Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman in second place with 11 points. And Mar, uh, Viola Davis from Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with, with nine points. Uh, breaking breaking the tie over Zendaya, Zendaya um, having appeared on Zendaya, having appeared over on more lists. Hey guys, my favorite movie of 2020 is Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Um, I absolutely love this movie. I saw it twice in the fall. Um, I thought it was super immersive, just a total psychedelic head trip, um, and with great acting by Christopher Abbott and um, Andrew Riseborough. Um, I went on a big Cronenberg uh, binge over quarantine, so it kind of worked out nicely that his son, Cronenberg Jr. here, released the film in the fall, and I think it's safe to say that he is carrying the torch, uh, the Cronenberg name. So definitely recommend that one. And uh, great job with the podcast, guys. Big fan. 
Hey guys, this is Sarah from Salem, and I wanted to call and talk about my top three movies of the year, and I wanted to respond to a couple of the things that you guys said in your podcast about them, because they are all movies that you have reviewed. So my number three of the year was Minari, and I loved this movie. Uh, As Jeremy sometimes says, I fell for it. I fell for it really quick. I fell in love with Alan Kim, of course, because how could you not? Um, The thing I wanted to respond to in this one that I think Lee missed in that metaphor of the Minari was that I think that it was a bigger story than um, you guys might have given it credit for. I think that it was about the life of immigrants, and I think the Minari growing in a place that it wouldn't seem like it would grow and flourishing was part of that immigrant life and thriving in a country that doesn't always make it easy. Not only does it grow, but it provides something that's beautiful and delicious and can help other people. My second favorite movie of the year was Nomadland, and this one I just completely agree with all of you on. Um, I thought that it was therapeutic. I thought that it was beautiful to look at, and I could have sat there and listened to these people and watched their lives for many more hours than the movie was. And I think that it was really important that it was led by such a strong actor in Frances McDormand. And my number one favorite movie of the year that I've seen, and I've seen a lot, was actually the one I've seen most recently, and that was The Father. I thought that Hopkins gave a an incredible performance, one that will hopefully go down in history. I remember audibly gasping during certain moments in that movie, like when the scene repeated about him going to a home and seeing his face at the realization that he was losing time and he was losing reality. I thought Coleman also gave a stunning performance in that movie. What I wanted to respond to from you guys' podcast was the character of Paul, the son-in-law. Um, You mentioned him being a one-dimensional character, and I agree with you, but my theory on that, and maybe I'm wrong, is that we were seeing him from Hopkins' perspective. We were seeing who he saw when he thought of his son-in-law. I don't think the abuse actually happened. I don't think that that person was exactly who we saw on the screen, but I think that it was his reality, and I think that's why we saw him that way. That might just be me excusing a poor performance, But I think that because the movie was so meticulously well made, there needed to be a reason for that character to be the way that he was. And for me, that's what it was. So that is what I have to say about my top three movies of the year. And that is it. Have a great Fixies, you guys. All right, guys, moving on to, I think, to me every year, what I I think is one of the most exciting categories for us to do. Best director. Um... Really excited to hear what you guys have to say, although I'm starting to get the impression that maybe uh, there's not going to be too many surprises, but I will kick things off here. My number five is Steve McQueen for Mangrove. Um, It's hard not to give him credit for the small act series in general, Um, but if I'm going to specifically focus in on Mangrove, um, I think just to, to take... Uh, again, I don't. I, I I hate to to kind of do this to compare it directly to Sh- Trial of Chicago Seven, but to take something so similar and just make it so much more impactful is a credit to the direction. 
to understand the where to take things seriously, how to separate yourself from the pack with filmmaking techniques is something that I think Steve McQueen is very, very good at. Um, he knows that uh, he knows and we know that he has very specific signatures, you know, long takes, putting the camera down and holding it, right? There's a very famous scene in Hunger, his debut film, where the camera just sits there for 20 minutes with with um, Michael Fassbender and Sir Davos talking to each other. And and then there's these long oneers in, in movies like uh, 12 Years a Slave and Widows. And he employs all those techniques to a certain extent in Mangrove, but it almost seems like he started to figure out how to make those work as a, in 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 service of the whole movie and there's nothing flashy necessarily like there is in some of his other movies but all of those things are there i just think it's a, a, a expertly directed film um again you can you can extend the credit to the series as a whole because it is quite an accomplishment that there's these five movies that for some reason, you know, the other award show want to treat as TV. But I, I, again, Mangrove is a film. Lover's Rock is a film. Red, White, and Blue is a film. Um, uh, Alex Whittle and Education are the other two. And I just think this is some great direction. He, It's a courtroom drama elevated. And there's a million courtroom dramas and some of them are all just more of the same. And this one is not. Yeah. You very rarely get to see such a clear comparison um, mm-hmm. between like yep. when you go with mangrove and, and trial of Chicago seven and how big of a difference, great directing can, can yep. do compared so to true. just average or mediocre directing. And right here you get to see it live and in person. And then to add to the, on top of that to direct five basically movies i mean great you know some yeah, of them are shorter more, but yeah. shorter but uh, uh all period pieces it's quite an achievement chapin i can i just you can do this quickly it, i i'm I, I don't think mangrove is gonna have a single nomination for you yeah. Did I miss it? Can you just tell us why? I know you liked this. Yeah, I I did. I don't know. I you know I I think I feel like we came into twenty twenty. I'm the biggest Steve McQueen fan out of the three of us, and yeah. uh, I don't know. I I think it's just my own whatever's going on with me personally that I just I had trouble relating to those films. Um, That's fair. But uh, I, I like the, you know, technically I like the way they're directed and I get it. So, but. Okay. Um, All right. Um, Chapin, why don't you go ahead and give us your number five? Well, to troll you, leave my number five is Steven Soderbergh for Let Them All Talk. Yes. Oh, come yes. on. Oh, um, he shot a movie on a live cruise ship. <clears throat> Insulting. Um, I, I. <laughs> Look, I love Soderbergh, but but yes, I mean, I think the fact that like this movie was interesting to me and at least to Jeremy speaks to Soderbergh's talent. I mean, I, I, I told you guys like when when, you know, if if you were to again, like look at a YouTube clip of one scene of that film, you would say, OK, this is fairly traditional coverage. Like, you know, I think about the scene between Lucas it's Hedges and traditional the, movie. The, it's not the, really uh, that interesting. Yeah, you'd say and, all those things and the agent um, in the bar. And but um. Honestly, I just I really just think like what he created here 
is what directing is. It's like, okay, yeah, we're going to shoot this in real life on a cruise ship and with these actors and we're going to cover it, you know, ostensibly very traditionally, but um, I don't know. Everything he does just sort of interests me and I'm not sure why, um, but uh, I really enjoyed this film. Much like another round, it was like a breath of fresh air um, to a rather like depressing kind of issues focused fixie season. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, Soderbergh just injects interest into these, what you would think would be rather, and for you, I guess it's truly mundane uninteresting scenarios. Uh, all right. Uh, I love that pick. Mayan is, uh, Darius martyr for sound of metal. Uh, I think what he does here, the balance that he's able to create between the, the, the emotions of the character in the sound design and the story he's telling, and, and and to keep it all relatively simple to understand is is pretty amazing and i think he just like like a great orchestra director he's just able to put all the pieces together with just the right tones um and this was i mean yeah it, it, it's one of my favorite uh experiences of watching a film all year yeah i don't so I don't think Darius Mutter was ever realistically going to make my top five, but like it was all, it was just like a really well directed film. And, and I think the thing that I point to is just, you know, okay. You can credit the sound designers for the sound design, but this was his vision, right? Like he knew how this movie was going to play out and the things that he does with sound design in this movie are a credit to his direction <laughs> And how he handled that and how that puts you in the shoes of his characters is is really impressive. So I, I always really was impressed with his direction of this movie. I, I, it was never one that I... Th- it was an honorable mention, but I don't think it was ever one that I seriously considered as a top five. But I, I'm glad that you had it in because I, I'm happy that we got to talk about it. How do you not consider it, it though? Like, well, I mean... that's what I mean. It's not that it wasn't a consideration. I just think I knew that it... There was going to be five better, um, for whatever reason, and but like I said, I'm glad that it was on your list because I think it's an important directorial achievement to talk about because there's a lot and it's of things a that he does really, debut. really well. That's the other thing. I'm yeah, pretty that's true. sure that is a directorial debut, and and how amazing is that? And to choose that location in Danvers was <laughs> yeah awesome. Well, I Every time I drive by it. I have nothing to do with that, so go ahead. It looked like Fisk location work. That's interesting. All right, Chapin. Yeah. Oh no, I'm up. I'm up, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, number five. Yeah. All right. My number five. Uh, my number four. So Chapin, you you chose to piss me off with Soderbergh and let me all talk. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah, go yeah, ahead and yeah, yeah, piss yeah. you off with Eliza Hitman and Never Really, oh, Sometimes, f- Always. Oh, this again. Look at guys. All right, I don't think you guys have seen her other movies with um, Beach Rats and It Felt Like Love. Um, I I love the intimacy of her work. Like I I just think there's it's maybe a a little bit less prevalent in Never Rarely Sometimes Always as it is in her other films. But this is her most complete work, and I think she does an amazing job at balancing both the 
that intimacy that I'm talking about and getting up close and personal and having you, you know, be very close to her characters and also kind of saying something without directly saying it. This movie is not necessarily directly about abortion, right? It's no. But it's about a character that is dealing with a decision that involves that. And I love that she is able to capture that in a very personal way. I, I love how she directs her movies. Again, I, I think Beach Rats and It Felt Like Love are both good movies, but not great movies. I, I would I'd love for you guys to watch those and kind of hear your opinions on them. But I think maybe seeing her work as a whole elevates her work here for me because, again, she, she has a way about getting very close to her characters and and that handheld close-up that she does in this movie and even more so in her other movies really gets you into their mindset. It really makes you feel for the things that they're struggling with. I love the direction of this movie. I, I think I wish you guys took me more seriously when I said revisit this movie. I think we got sidetracked a little bit in nitpicking some things. This movie has some screenplay issues for sure. 100%. There's some dialogue problems. There's some directness in the screenplay that doesn't work. But her direction... Jeremy was so disgusted by your... Um, he, yeah, he left. Your comment that he left. Luckily, um, I, I, I don't... I don't. I, I agree with you. I think she's a powerful director. I just... I don't know. I, I, I just think inherently that movies need to be a little bit enjoyable. I think... Okay. And, and, and look, I did not find any, I did not find one minute of this film and Chapin, enjoyable. I, Chapin, I, I have the same critique for Malcolm and Marie, right? Like I, I have inserted my personal opinion into that and that I can't, I can't get behind that movie because I don't like to see couples act that way, right? That's, that shouldn't have an impact on the movie. Just like, but it's the same yeah. mindset that you have here. Like I, and I understand that I'm not taking that away from you. For me, and and look, like there's there's also the aspect, the idea behind like sometimes a movie just works and resonates with you, and this movie did. And I just like this is I, I have to say like this is the movie that has stuck with me. We saw it in March and, or something, but yeah, it has no, stuck and, with and, me and for me the too. entire year more than any I other agree with movie. You about that, yeah. I guess okay. I uh, it didn't stick with me. That's that's I guess where my thoughts lie. <laughs> Jeremy's like I gave two shits about this girl. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. All right, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, no, Chapin, you're up. Thomas Vinterberg, another round. Uh, another yes. so, round. I'm really so, glad. So, so, this We're, is, I, I had, I literally like, this was, I text you guys. I was just like, I can't fit more than five people into my top five. This was the example. Can't. I was like, how can I get Vinterberg into this? Um, I, I uh, so if the screenplay kind of like conceptualized this really cool an interesting like idea that these characters have, you know, Thomas Vinterberg, who also wrote the script, but his direction here kind of like, it just made this lifestyle feel very appealing to me. Like summers in Copenhagen and um, <laughs> the teacher lifestyle and the connection between them and the performance of Mads Mikkelsen. I, I just, um, I don't know. It was just a great insight into um, uh, life here and and it was very relatable despite being like very different and the, the movie i was alluding to was pieces of a woman which is directed by a, a norwegian couple 
and didn't quite translate as well. I think we talked about that on the podcast, but while we're, while we are looking at this in kind of a similar space, this Danish film, um, we can acknowledge and relate to what's happening, but also like, Oh God, you know, maybe it would be nice to kind of live, uh, in this, uh, you know, socialist paradise or, or whatever it is. I don't know if they're socialists, but, um, I, I, you know, this was just such a fun breath, breath of fresh air, as I mentioned. And, uh, uh, yeah, I think it would be good to live in a socialist environment, but <laughs> Chapin, the, yeah, that, so Vinterberg, like, I don't know. I, I, I may, maybe I'll talk, I, whatever. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this movie, but I, I remember, do you guys remember we were going to podcast about another round and I watched it and I told you guys, I don't think there's a lot to talk about here. Yeah, and then well. Chapin, you and you watched it, Chapin and Jeremy, you watched it. And we all had kind of like differing opinions on it, but like for whatever reason, this movie just like would not leave me. I just like kept thinking about. It. I think it had. I honestly think it had a lot to do with that last scene, which I just loved. But I revisited it, revisited it twice, and I just think like there's just such a like infectious nature that Vinterberg infuses into this movie that is really about some serious things, like a lot of very like dramatic things happen in this movie, but it never feels overly dramatic. And it's interesting that you compare it to pieces of a woman because also a movie about very dramatic things is just nothing but dramatic. Right. Right. Whereas another round is just has like this like lightness to it, despite all the very dramatic things that are going on. And I couldn't help but keep thinking about it. And it made me want to rewatch it and rewatch it again and just kept thinking about it. And I think that's a real credit to like what Vinterberg did, both with the screenplay and his direction and kind of setting a tone for the movie. Great. Jeremy, you're number four. Uh, it is Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. What? Um, <laughs> it's way too low. <laughs> Why don't you put I, that I, at your number 100? Do you want me to talk about it, or you just yes, want to yell yeah, at yeah. me? Well, I guess so. <laughs> just want to judge my picks. Yep. Well, we're gonna judge um, it. So I think I also think that my director picks are gonna really screw up what. Uh, you know how when happening. like nominations are announced, people cheer. I love the about yeah. the fixies is that when nominations are announced, we hiss, we hiss and boo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It, Look, it's so far achie- we've hissed. So far, we've had six nominations. We've booed three of them. I do, yeah, it's such an achievement to find the balance that she finds in this movie and is able to, uh, you know, work. I mean, we talked about it with our last film, but I think she elevates it here. It's like she takes uh, traditional filmmaking and the documentary filmmaking and sort of merges it nearly perfectly here. Um, I love what she does and I can't wait to just watch all her movies. And I'm actually kind of pissed. She's going into the Marvel universe. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't want, like, I have no interest in that. I want to see her keep doing this. And I think once she goes in the Marvel universe, do you think they're just going to let her wander around at sunset to do whatever, uh, Iron Man needs to do with it. Like, it's not going to happen. There, she's going to have to follow the procedure, yeah, for, and for it's going to be. 
yeah, for that, she's going to make that movie and set herself up to make a bunch of other good ones. That's my, that's what I hope. I mean, maybe I'm being optimistic, but, um, all right. We'll talk more about Chloe Zhao. My number three is David Fincher for Mank. That's, that's also my number. My number three. All right, cross the board. Wow. David Fincher for I thought when I was going to say David Fincher for Bank, you guys would be like, number three, hiss. No, we hiss because you put Chloe Zhao at four, you dipshit. Um, can all right, I, guys, can what I leave what this off? Go, go for it, Javen. I, lo- I would love to. I, love I, um, I had this feeling like the fourth time I watched this movie um, <laughs> that maybe Fincher got in the way of this a little bit. Hmm. Um, no, look, okay. he's a brilliant director because without he's probably Fincher, my favorite director. No, I, I, I but I think, I think I might a lot of that. his choices here. Like, I, I here's what I here's what I was thinking. The fourth time I watched this after getting through the, you know, uh, black and white filming and the, you know, the sound design that was very hard to hear. Like, what if he had just made this like a normal movie? What if he had taken his father's script and just made it? In, I don't in think it color? would be as good. And without all the sound stuff and, and, and look like just thinking about that, just having considered that and, and, and by sort of osmosis, like maybe that means his vision wasn't completely working for me. Um, you know, that, that questioning of his vision made me, made him drop two places on my list you know where he was this this is a fincher movie and no no it it is a fincher movie it works that way like uh, yes i don't know i'm not denying that it is but no he could have made it in color and with sound that you could understand and how much different would it be except that you would be able to understand it on the first viewing yeah but you wouldn't get what you you ultimately enjoy about it i don't think i actually disagree that this is a fincher movie in the sense that we like we expected like we like I think part of what we were so excited about with Mank but also be we're sort of scratching our heads about was being like where where's the razor sharp edge gonna come from in the making of Citizen Kane right and like that and that's not necessarily here in the sense oh, that we're I, used I disagree to. with that no it's there Chapin that. it's there 100% I agree it's not there in the way that we're used to it's similar. It's more similar to Social Network than it is to Seven or Fight Club, but I think like what's interesting is that we, what this movie gave us was was an example of a director that is more in control and on top of the film he's making than any director working today. I think this is this is elite direction. And that's why we love Fincher. But another thing that we like about Fincher is his ability to like portray cynicism in a way that's like almost irreverent. And even if you can argue that's here, it's just to- it's it's subverted. And I think that throws us off a little bit. And I, again, I, there's a part of me that agrees with you, Chapin, where like this is not like if Fincher had done this differently, maybe we'd like it more. And I think that's only in the sense that it would be a more ex, uh, uh, accessible movie than it is. No, I and I don't even mean I don't even mean that. I just mean like 
if 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 that if his vision had worked for me 100%, I would have never questioned it. But I did. And I wondered whether I questioned it too. There was a point where this real, he wasn't on script, my list. This fixie winning script. It won the fixie, right? It did. The, the fixie winning script and, and you and up. you adapted it much the way you did Zodiac or Girl with a Dragon Tattoo. Would this have been a better movie? And I'm not saying I I'm not saying that it would have. I'm not saying no, that it would have at all. I'm you. saying I'm just saying the fact that you question that vision that maybe that his his directorial flourishes, the black and white, the the weird dialogue sound, all that all those choices, just the fact that I questioned it made him fall two spots to number three on my list. So Chapin, it's interesting that you put it that way because I had the exact exact same questions but it worked it worked in the opposite direction whereas i was like these are issues that maybe i wish weren't issues and he was number six but i gave him credit for the black and white photography the self-referential aspects and it moved him up to number three does that make sense yeah, yeah, and, for sure. yeah, and so I, I, I right in the middle of you two i think i i, I didn't really question it because it's venture, and I thought the decisions were the correct ones. And and, and there's always something about the fin, uh, Fincher movie that you're just like, I, I, he he adds a layer to it that you're just you're gonna want that that part that cinematic part of you that film geek part of you just wants to keep watching it wants to keep watching it it's, wants to yeah. go back to. So Chapin, I finally watched that interview with Ben Affleck that you sent us months ago or whatever. I watched that yesterday and today. And like, the reason I love that interview, it's Ben Affleck interviewing David Fincher about Mank and the two of them, of course, work together on Gone Girl. And like, not only does it make you just like love Ben Affleck and David Fincher just watching it, but you know, it it, it humanizes David Fincher in a way. Yeah, Yeah, sure. And it's really interesting to watch and it makes you think about like his process in a much more like intelligent way. Like you realize that well, it's, he's not just a yeah, cynic. And, he's not just a, you've... he's not just a, like a, uh, uh, somebody that's just like, Oh, let's just do a ton of takes because I have to no, get and, my and, vision. And, and, and thank you for saying that Lee, because I want to just, I want to just point out that like Christopher Nolan is not on this list. And, you know, uh, Fincher and Nolan are, are two guys we've done a retrospective on and are, you know, some of our top directors. But Fincher, I think, ha- you know, he does do a lot of takes. He's the sort of Stanley Kubrick of his generation. But he made this movie in less than a year. Um, you know, the shooting schedule for this was not very long. He does do a lot of takes, but he's able to make his schedules work. And he was able to make this movie for $25 million. Now, look, I think being able to modulate your budgets and work within and 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 be creative in the way that you film a movie we've talked about this in relation to to scorsese for example um really can make your make really can help these movies survive having you know like i i just i i can't imagine scorsese making a movie for 25 million dollars anymore i can't imagine nolan doing a movie for 25 million dollars and i think you know like fincher yes he does do a lot of takes but he's able to figure out and he talked about that in the interview that you mentioned lee with with ben affleck how to make a movie inexpensively but and and i think that's important because we want to see these movies from these directors we we respect and they're not going to be able to make these 
50, 100, 200 million dollar movies every time if, if if we want these original visions. Chapin, gun to your head, new Nolan, new Fincher. You can only watch one of them. Never watch another one. New Fincher. No wow. I, so uh, I, I agree. And and look, I I, th- I think the Fincher Nolan comparison is an interesting one, and we don't have time to talk about it now. But I in with Fincher, like I I love the so- the Social Network is my favorite movie of his. I think maybe by far, and but his direction of Mank, I think, shows me something that makes me love him as a director more than any of his other movies. It shows me that like he is the ultimate director in terms of control and understanding of his vision and the movie that he's going to make for better or worse, regardless of whether you like this part or that part, Fincher knows exactly what he's going to make and makes it better than any other director working today. And I think that's what makes him a top three director of uh, among the ones that are working i mean and that includes tarantino pta scorsese nolan all these guys that we've done retrospective on and 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 other directors that we love i just think that there's there there is no other director like him in terms of just absolute understanding and control and mank is an example of our and that is and our, that's our number on three our number three director <laughs> so let's My move number on t- to our my number, number two. two, my number two is Florian Zeller for the father. That is also my number two. My God number two. Is, what is your is, number one going to be? My number two is Kelly Reichardt for First Cow. Okay, so let's talk about Zeller here. Um, I mean, I mean, a great example. This is just a great example of like going all in on an approach and it working, and it. it yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I mean, we talked about it in the last podcast. What he did was just so cinematic and utilizing the tools of cinema to tell a story better than anything we've seen this year. And for that, he had to be bumped up this list. Um, I was just so impressed. I was just so impressed with... It's very rare we get to talk about somebody doing something new. And we've already talked about it with Anthony Hopkins. And I think we can talk about it with Zeller's direction in The Father. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, like like Nolan, his use of space and time in this film mm-hmm. and yeah. the way he manipulates it because you have, you can do that cinematically is amazing. But it and, doesn't draw attention to itself like, say, Vassa Knight does. It's it's it feels very comfortable, and you 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 have to. It sort of it sort of lures you into understanding how different it is. You don't quite realize it right away. So yeah. something that I've always given directors credit for, and for and and this the movie that comes to mind all the time is Moneyball. And I I remember years ago I nominated Bennett Miller for best director for that movie. And it's just like you see scenes in the movie or you just watch the movie as a whole and you just can tell that the the director knew from point A what how his movie was going to play when it was put together in the editing room. And I think that's an example of the father. Like Florian Zeller just yeah. – 
knew exactly how everything was going to play out, how everything was going to connect, and that the point of view that he was striving for was the main objective. I like that because it's like, unlike Fincher, don't give the editor many options. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like yeah. you direct it how you want to, and this is what you you got. So, whereas Fincher, it's it's... I mean, I think that's more to do with performances. It's not like Fincher's like, oh, should I put the camera here? Let's try it here. Let's put the camera here. He knows what he's doing. He just uh, needs to get what he wants to get. So I'm very curious what's going to happen. Chapin, your number two is for Kelly Reichardt from First Cow, which I have to say I'm I'm so glad it is nominated because I the director category was just a mess for me trying to figure out how to get this in. And I wanted Kelly Reichardt to be nominated and I couldn't figure out a way to get her in. I love Kelly Reichardt. I love her movies. I've seen a lot of them. I love her direction. I love the way that she is able to just take like these quiet, simple stories and make them interesting. And to have her this high on your list is exciting for me. So talk a little bit about that. No, that's, that's it. I mean, she, she's just able to, um, do things subtly. Um, I'll, I'll hopefully have an opportunity to talk about more about her later, but I'm happy to move on. I mean, I, the, I just think I wish there were, I wish there were more movies like, I wish there were more good movies like the one she, that she makes. And you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But I want, I'm, I'd, I'm so I'd love to see do... her with the bigger budget. I'd love to see her actually have like a, a the resources. Yeah. I don't like know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Like, I feel like it feels very, could that work her. against her? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. My number, number one is Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. That's, that's my number one too. Che- Jeremy, I have no idea what your number one is. Unless uh, it's, no, you already said Fincher. Nope. It's Steve McQueen for Mangrove slash yes! Small Axe. I, I love it. I, I, I just was so impressed, like so impressed with what he was able to pull off this year. And I know it's kind of cheating because I cheating. did I did put the small axe sort of together for this. But I, I thought it was amazing. that Like those are not easy movies to make. It's not like he's just putting together a TV series. This is like serious cinema that he's able to put uh, five piece, five, I believe, pieces together. Mangrove obviously being the best of them and deserves a nomination in a, in and of itself. We we nominated the Coens for Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I feel like it should fall into the same category. Yeah, exactly. They're shorter, so, but it's anthology. Uh I I I just I I don't think there's a bigger or better directorial achievement this year and that's mm-hmm. why I have to give it to him. It wasn't really a question to me. Point. Yeah. Well, uh, I look, I, I'm so happy that that's what your number one ended up being. Um, honestly, I, I loved the series of Small Axe, but if you just told me that you were nominating him for Best Director at your number one for Mangrove, I'd be satisfied with that. Um, I Chapin's shaking his head, but... No, I'm I, just at the running time of this podcast. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, it's not going to get any shorter at this point, Chapin. No, so just yeah, Chapin, the, longer, the more longer you shake your head, it's just going to make it longer. <laughs> People want to hear it, Chapin. They're going to listen. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but and I and and I don't want to brush off your 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 pick, Jeremy. I I a hundred percent like I I I actually I love Steve McQueen as a director. I I 
a borderline disliked widows, but 12 Years a Slave, Hunger, I think these are great movies. I think he's a generational director. I think he's somebody that we absolutely should be paying more attention to. I think he's somebody that is should be in the conversation with the Finchers and the Nolans and the Tarantinos and PTAs. Um, so, well, maybe it's counterproductive for him to do something like Small Axe. I'm glad that here in on the which way? Why is it counterproductive? Because, because it's not getting movies? the attention from the oh, the, the wider really movie world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, he got a fix. He got number one fixie nomination. What does he care? I I agree. And Sean Parks, if it, had it not been for Anthony Hopkins, he would have been my number one my number one actor of the year for Mangrove. Um, but Chloe Zhao, I mean, look, this is the standard, guys. Jeremy, this is this at your number four is is wrong. All right, this is the standard. This is the new. I don't this get is, how I put it. I put her on my list. I put her at number four, and somehow it's just it's, it's like it's, an insult. It's way insult. too low. It's way too low. This is the standard. This is the the what the spiritual existen- existential exploratory filmmaking that we've been giving Terrence Malick credit for for years, regardless of the quality of his movie. This is the standard now. Chloe Zhao has said it. Nomadland is is so expertly done in in merging narrative and documentary merging narrative and and uh experimental or or montage or whatever like all of these things like all of these like film school nonsensical things that play a part in filmmaking she has expertly captured them in this movie and she has set a standard for filmmaking moving forward and I think that, yes, Jeremy, I agree with you to a certain extent that it's annoying that she's going to do a Marvel movie. It actually 100% is annoying. She should be setting the standard for a different type of movie, not that. But I don't think that the her doing Eternals is going to take her away from that. I think she's got a long career ahead of her. I think we're going to see amazing things from her. And I, I just think that everything we saw in The Rider, which was impressive could have become gimmicky but what she did instead was take it and elevate it and make it and make it the standard what, what i'm worried is gonna happen is she's like like she kind of hit her pinnacle with nomadland like she took the rider which were all non-actors and she made a way she figured out how a, a way to make that work then she took a big movie star and brought that person in and then i feel like she's gonna keep going up that though those stairs and eventually, uh, it's not going to be good. And we're just uh, going to be like, okay, now we're just back to filmmaking. Maybe. I hope not. But I, I think she's smarter than that. I think she understands the the medium of film because it's not just about the non-actors. It's about how she captures them. It's about the filmmaking that surrounds them. And I think that's right, what but makes her like movie like I said, work. do you think they're going to let her do that in the Marvel universe? Well, no. no I'll forget about way. that movie. Who gives a shit? She's going to find... She's going to... She's gonna. She's going. I, what my hope is that she parlays that into a budget to make a movie that we love, and that that I think that that is very pl- plausible. All right, here's my cynical take: Nomadland's gonna be her best movie of all time. Well, that, which is fine, you know. But I, yeah, that's okay. fine. I which hope is, that's fine. which is okay. But that doesn't mean she's not gonna make great movies. Social Network is David Fincher's best movie. That doesn't take away anything from how good the direction is in Mank. Um. All right. So. The best director winner is Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. 
I tried. I, I gave it a the old college try to give it a a little bit of intrigue. Yeah, David Fincher, second place for fifteen points. Florian Zeller for the father for twelve points. I mean, I I honestly think those are the three best directing achievements of the year. Yeah, those three. All right, lads. Well, um, I was a little bit reluctant to do this voice memo because I just it's been a rough year, not just for the movie going public, but for me as well. I have I've seen so few movies because I've been so busy. Um, but two movie experiences that I did have this year that really stuck with me were my four night endeavor to try and get through Justice League, and uh, Mallory and I watched Trial of the Chicago Seven, which we both really enjoyed. Um, Justice League was really interesting because, as Chapin knows, while I do enjoy the Marvel movies, I um, I, I don't particularly even know why. I, I have a real soft spot for all the DC characters, and so I was always really looking forward to that series of movies. And um, while I did think that the uh, Snyder Cut was a lot better than the original Justice League, I mean, surprisingly so, and really entertaining to watch through that lens, knowing that I had already seen the Justice League movie, I was pretty disappointed in the finished product. Um, you know, I just think that, uh, I think the casting was my largest issue. I, I know everybody is so enamored with Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman and, and you hear a lot of, I mean, Aquaman made a ton of money and people seem to really enjoy Jason Momoa as Aquaman, but I did not, I, I have a really hard time with both of those actors in those movies um even though i think henry cavill is pretty decent as superman and and there are parts of ben affleck's batman that i enjoy as well um and then uh trial of chicago 7 mallory and i both really enjoyed it um i in particular i really really loved sasha baron cohen and and to enjoy him as i have for so many years as a comedic actor and then to see him in these more serious roles is a real treat i um I thought the movie was a little long, but uh, but I really liked it. So anyway, looking really forward to hearing the Fixies as always. Um, your your podcast has been a real mainstay in my god awful pandemic year of lonely labor that I've been working on my house every night. Um, so keep it up. All right, boys. Best picture, best picture of the year. Kevin. We're gonna kick off with you. <laughs> Okay, my number ten is the Invisible Man. I I, I said this in my um, the in the screenplay category, but like, I don't know. I just thought this was so fun and original, and like, um, you know, like I'm so just I'm usually just so disappointed with the way Hollywood takes these reboots, but this was just such an original idea, like an update for the tech, the tech world, and like that sounds bad, and I can I can I can tell where people's minds go when I say that. But it just wasn't. It was just where so... do people's minds go? Because I don't know. I don't understand that. Which is like, oh yeah, it's a modern update of the Invisible Man, and it's like it involves a, you know, new technology. But it's but it's not. It's believable. It's it's rooted in a world that's very believable, and you know, ha- surrounding it with this, you know, Me Too ish performance by um by uh what's her name um, Elizabeth Moss Elizabeth Moss um. You know, it just it just makes it feel like more significant than sort of your average B horror movie, and that's what it is. And then, dire- right. you know, I didn't di- I didn't nominate it for this, but the direction is incredible. You know, just kind of like these, you know, 
lingering on these empty spaces, you know? Cool. It is a it is a really well done movie. I think <clears throat> it's unfortunate, but movies like this lose credit for the type of movie that they are. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're bringing it up. My number 10 is <clears throat> something that we've sort of like alluded to over the course of the last several months and never really directly referenced how good it is, is Sorry We Missed You, um, which is a British film directed by Ken Loach. Um, it's sort of a, you know, real life look into people living in the gig economy and a character that has to get a basically a job essentially delivering packages for an Amazon-like company. And, you know, something that we mentioned similarly to another round, I love that this movie never really is intent on resolving anything. It's more about just embracing the life that these characters are forced to live and exploring that. And I really enjoyed this movie. It was a big surprise for me. Um, I think the finale of the movie is a bit overly dramatic and maybe hurts the movie slightly, but it does also double down on what it's trying to say in that this is the life that these people are forced to live for, like regardless of how dramatic it may get. And See, I really like this movie. To me, that movie was very similar experience that Chapin had to uh, never rarely always, or sometimes always. <laughs> it, it was just hard to watch. And I just like, it was grinding for me. Like I just, it, one bad thing after another, after another. And I just felt for these people, but I just wanted it to kind of end. I, I, I It was I, rough. I, I understand that a hundred percent. I think that there is just like that quote unquote, everything keeps going wrong for these characters and like that's not necessarily good screenwriting but poverty porn yeah poverty porn and that might not work and but i i do think that it does highlight the kind of realism that these characters are going through and just like what it takes to live this type of life and i really enjoyed that about this movie so my number 10 is one of those types of movies that did it right and that is rocks i thought this movie was it it could have been poverty porn but instead it sort of had characters that you you not only like fell for but like tried to make the best out of their lives and were doing were were trying to relate to each other the best they can and I really enjoyed this movie and I think it's one of those lost movies of the year. Like I think Agreed. people should go out and Net- watch it's this. Netflix. It's on Netflix. Just go check it out. It's one of the best movies of the year. Like we talked about some of the best performances of the year from non-actors. Um, I, I, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like we talked about it in terms of performances, but what did you guys think in terms I, of the movie as a whole? I love this movie. It's my number nine, Jeremy. Um, I, I totally fell for this movie. This movie, like there are scenes in this movie that just like broke me in half. That scene when they take her, her brother away, that scene where she's watching her brother at the playground. Like I, 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 I was, I don't know how you like, yeah, I, I I thought this, and the way they do it is so like matter of fact, you know, like this is just how 
you have to deal with life. Like these are people that just have to deal with the fact that they're going to be broken up, broken up as siblings. Yep. And the um, the break the the story of this movie is is that uh, uh, Buki Bakray, who who obviously was a fixie nominee for me and Chapin, um, plays this character nicknamed Rocks, and her her mother leaves, and it's not the first time, but she leaves. It's clearly clear that she has an issue. And and Rox is forced to take care of herself and her younger brother, and it's really just the story of that. And there's a lot of authenticity and realism that's infused into this movie. I love the classroom scenes; I think they're very authentic. I, I love that, and and obviously, uh, Buki Bakker's performance is great, and and Kosa Ali's performance is great as one of her friends. It's just it's just a slice of life. But it's very realistic and it's heartbreaking at times. And I, it, I fell for it 100%. And you also go like, how can this happen in like a first world country like like England? You well, know, like what's how- interesting about that is that I believe Rox's mother is of Caribbean descent, much like all the people in Small Axe. Right. Yeah. But that's, that's from... Yep. The six, the seventies, and so you get a slice of life of the that same immigrant changed. population from, you know, a little more modern. Okay, Chapin, your number nine. My number nine is Sound of Metal. I think I've talked enough about this movie, um, but I really liked it. And yeah, go back and listen to the podcast for more on that one. Yep, and my number nine was Rocks. Jeremy, your number nine. Uh, again, alone on an island, but it's the forty-year-old version. And I, I don't really have much more to say about it, so we'll move on. It's interesting. I knew you. I, 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 we, you know, we have this this watch list, and we have a category that says must watch. And Jeremy checked off must watch. I think Forty Year Old Version is the only movie that he checked off must watch. <laughs> so we all got the impression of where the like his feelings about this movie. Um, but yeah, we've had a good conversation about that and our kind of division on it, but. I like the um, I like that we're eclectic in our picks. Chapin, you're number eight. Pieces of a woman. Um, I know you guys didn't wow. like this. I know you didn't like this, and I understand all the flaws. And I think if I watched it again, I would get it. There's a lot of flaws to this movie, but I had such an emotional reaction to this film when I watched it. Much like my experience that I alluded to to Uncut Gems. Um, but although a very different emotional experience and, uh, you know, look, I, I was probably in the right place at the right time for this movie. Um, had I seen it, you know, before I had a child and gone through a bunch of stuff, I probably would not have had this so high. I probably would not have made my fixie list, but this aligned with what was going on in my life at the time, um, when I saw it and it was an extraordinary experience and it has fallen a lot down the list because I know it's not as good. I know that, but doesn't yeah, change I the experience that. I had. Yeah. That's a huge part of it. Sure. Um, my number, what are we on? Eight. My number yeah. eight is, Moving is Wolf Walkers. Oh, and oh, there it th- is. This is a movie that I really, really loved um entry level highlights for you guys amazing <laughs> amazing voice performances in this movie um it has a great score 
which is something, you know, we haven't talked yeah. about score as much, but there's a great score. Also a great original song that is used within this movie. Um, but also I actually really love the unique, impressive animation of this movie, which I can understand if it doesn't uh, have an impact on you, especially if you're you're more interested in the animation style for Pixar, which is very, you know, real and true to like what all actual real life looks like and in wolf walkers it's like a combination of like two-dimensional and three-dimensional and how they infuse those two things um you know i i thought this movie was incredible and i also thought it was very very layered i thought it spoke to a lot of things that are topical you know that have to do with tolerance and you know uh class and friendship and relationships this is this is a, a an animated movie from Ireland, uh, just directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart, which I understand is a, a part of a, a, fi- a final movie in a series that includes a movie called The Secret of Kells from 2009 and Song of the Sea from 2014, um, which I would love to go back and and revisit or or see. I haven't seen them before. I I loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. I thought. Across the board, the animation, the performance, the voice performances, the story, the themes, all worked 100% for me. I, I wouldn't shut up about this movie, as you guys know. Jeremy, I think you may have watched it, Chapin. I'm not sure if you got to it. Um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I I did watch it, and I actually did enjoy it, but uh, it, it, it's not going to make my list here. Um, but... The animation at first threw me, and then once you sort of got used to it, it was fine. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it is it is a good movie, and it's totally worth worth watching. It's on Apple TV Plus, despite Jeremy's half hearted <laughs> recommendation, and you can't see Chapin, but he's shaking his head. I really think you should watch this movie. I loved it. I thought it was. No, I thought good. it was amazing. I, I, it was I really enjoyable. It. It's not amazing. It's enjoyable. It's amazing. <laughs> okay. Everybody, it's listen, listen, little, listen to me. It's amazing. It's a fantastic film. All right, Jeremy, you're number eight. Uh, it's Minari. Oh wow! I'm yeah. I'm glad this made it on there. Uh, look, it, we're going back to we're going back to the American experience. Whether you are, um from here for generations or if you're newly from here like it's all it, it, the the battle is all or, or not the battle but like what you're you're ultimately trying to figure out is it is the same um and minari is just a great example of that uh you have a family that's just trying like uh where, where are they from south korea mm-hmm. that north korea uh, are they from North Korea? Oh, no. 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 I was going to say, you can't get out of there. They'd still be there. That'd be a totally different movie. Um, it's spies. Uh, yeah, the husband's trying to start a farm, provide a life for his family. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to watch through through their eyes. and Yeah, that's, that's the thing that Minari... That's the thing about Minari that stuck with me so much is seeing seeing America through their eyes. And I wanted to like this movie more. I, I kind of wish I did like this movie more. Ultimately, I felt I found it somewhat forgettable. It, 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 not a lot that stuck with me. Obviously, the performance from, from Yoo Jung Yoon 
was amazing. Um, I think the Steven Yeun performance, which is getting a lot of credit, is overrated. But oh, I agree with that. But um, I, I think and, like and Alan the Kim, kid, of course, the yeah, little kid, Alan like Kim he's amazing. amazing. Like I, I would love it if he, he. We didn't. None of us nominated him, but like I would love it if he just won every award ever. Like he's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and so there's a lot to like about Minari, but I just feel like it, like it isn't quite the movie that I think it's being hyped up as to be i I don't know i think it it i think it lacks some of that struggle the struggle of understanding the american dream i was so on board for it until the third act and the third act just and i think it's unfair because like if you add up all the flaws and say pieces of a woman and you add up all the flaws in minari pieces of a woman has a lot more flaws but because of minari just like that third act just kind of um it was just, it left me with a bad taste. And what otherwise I thought was like, oh, like I told you guys on the podcast, I was like, is this going to be as good as Nomadland? Um, right. Ultimately it wasn't, but I'm conflicted about that film. And, you know, maybe we'll have a chance to revisit it in the past and we can talk about more about We're going to revisit in the pa- it in, in the, the past. past. Is this tenant? Is wow. this tenant? We we're have a future the, in the past. We're going to go through the, <sighs> yeah. We get up to some stuff. All right, Chapin, you're number seven. Let them all talk. Oh, yes. come on. <laughs> Guys. You made the list. Yeah, look, like, I, I've, I've said enough about it. I really enjoyed the movie. Um, wholly original, fun, a nice respite from a, a rather dour year of depressing movies. Sorry, I'm going to piss Chapin off even more later. Okay, great. Moving on. Number six. No, we're still on seven. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> My number seven is First Cow. Um, that's also that's also my number seven. That's so way I, too low. It's so look, I I I really loved this movie. I I love Kelly Reichardt's direction. I love John McGarrow's performance, and and in particular, I. This is the interesting thing about Reichardt is that I love her direction, but I rarely love her f- films. I like her movies a lot. I love what she does, but they don't always work perfectly for me. And I think First Cow is an example of that, although I like this movie more than I think a lot of her others. She just is able to like quietly and simplistically tell very deep stories without. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely my favorite deep. movie of hers. It's up there for it, it. Yeah, I would say that it probably is. I really like Meeks Cutoff. I actually really like Wendy and Lucy. I think that's a, one of her smallest movies, but it's one of her most powerful movies. With it, it's basically it's just Michelle Williams and her dog. Um, yeah, I mean, I've lost a dog in Portland. You know, it's been there, done that. Bought the t-shirt. So, Didn't so, make a movie out of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> anyway, I, I just think like there's such a sophistication to her filmmaking. I, I love that we are in a year where a Reichardt film is important. That that sounds pejorative, but like, and it shouldn't take a pandemic to make Reichardt's films important. But I guess, it, as it turns out, the Fixies are the only place where her films are important since she didn't get nominated anywhere else. But she is one of our best working filmmakers. She makes such great movies. She makes such smart movies. She makes such deep movies. And she makes movies that are about things that are you know, deeper than just what the surface level suggests. So I, I hope that, you know, our nominating this, me and Jeremy at number seven and Chapin suggests it's way too low. So hopefully we'll hear about it more. Tells people that you should go and seek out Kelly Reichardt's movies. 
very likely they're streaming somewhere for free. Go watch them. Go watch Minks Cut Off. Go watch Night Moves. Go watch uh, uh, Wendy and Lucy, Old Joy, Certain Women. These are all really, really like great movies in their own way. And yep. they all explore these really interesting themes. And if just like take some time to think about them and appreciate her as a filmmaker, I really hope that people do. Yeah, this goes back to your original question, Lee, uh, six hours ago. But like, <laughs> I, I am surprised how low this is on my list at number this seven because I this really is part two. that was only a couple hours ago. No, no, no. I, 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 I really love this movie, and um, <laughs> the fact that it is at number seven shows, I think, how how strong the movie year was. All right, Chapin, you're number six. Another round, number six. Um. Hey, my that's my number six too. Yeah, I mean, I've said it. We've talked about it. Uh, like just 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 a breath of fresh air, a fun, a movie that is both you know dramatic and deals with real hum- human issues, but doesn't leave you feeling like you've just been punched in the face. Like Lee's, uh, you know, never, rarely, sometimes, always, and you know, like with, not everything has to be super depressing to have emotional catharsis. And I think uh, this film it's totally, tr- it, it's a hundred percent right, Javen. Like it, it's. It's such a, it's such a, I mean, look, you could put this at my number six because of that end scene. Like there is, I, I don't know if there's a scene specifically that I've thought about more than that dance scene at the end. What a life, what a beautiful, beautiful life. Like all just, I want to do is watch uh, that just and just like forget instead. all the cares in the world. Like it's just such a, it's such an irreverent movie that, yeah. that hones in on such serious, like humanistic, realistic ideas and again i i i'm ashamed of myself because we were gonna podcast about it and i dismissed it after i watched it you did but it's but it stuck with me and i watched it again and then i watched it a third time and i'm so glad i did because i think this is an unbelievably good movie jeremy your number six it my number six is soul nice um I yes. think I said everything I wanted to say about it with the screenplay category because you guys were shocked, shocked that uh, it was your number one. It oh, was my man, number one. Ridiculous. Not shocked, but embarrassed for you. I really think it's a great movie. I mean, it's it's nearly impossible to pull something like this off where it's both kid friendly and dealing with such deep subject matter in such a smart way. So like, I don't know how they come up with this stuff every time, but it's, it's really brilliant. I mean, literally brilliant. I don't want to sidetrack us too much, but I asked you, I don't think you guys had seen it at the time when we recorded the soul podcast. Have you guys been able to watch inside out? No, not you yet. guys need to watch Inside Out. And and look, it's not fair to say like, oh, if you've seen Inside Out, Soul isn't as good. But in terms of the existential idea behind <laughs> Soul, Inside Out is the standard. And Pix- it, that's another Pixar I believe movie. it. I mean, I believe it. They're just so good and at that. They are. It, it, they're fantastic. And there's other movies that include it. Up is another one. Um, And I'm not taking anything away from Soul. Soul just didn't work as well for me in terms of the you know, Pixar canon, and I, I I struggled with, like, who that movie was for. You know, you say it's appropriate for kids, it's made for adults. I, I, I felt like that line didn't 
didn't blend as well as it typically does for Pixar with Soul. And that that was a challenge for me. But um, I'm happy that it ended up on list because it is a good movie. Chapin, you're number five. We're into our top five <laughs> movies of the year. Tenet. Jeremy, Look. you're top you're number five. <laughs> Look, it's it's minor Nolan. I I, Le- I think lesser Nolan. Le- no, no, he says minor. Doesn't he say minor? Well, that's what they say in Squid and the Whale, but minor. lesser Nolan. Yeah, is lesser more Nolan. So look, look, but I don't know. I like it. I'm on board. I get it. I, it's a it's a little annoying that I'm so with what Nolan does, but I like it. Um, All right. It's the movie I've watched the most, so I'm happy to move on. Let's 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 pick up some time here. No, no, no. I don't. I don't want to move on because I want to ask you something specifically because I I, I think it's incredible that Nolan has earned the credit of me watching his movie four times, a movie that I'm not really a big fan of. Watching it four times to try to decide whether or not it's good. Okay. I, I want to know. I want you are probably the biggest Nolan fan among the three of us. I want you to honestly tell us. If this is number five on your list because you are a huge Nolan fan, or if because you really feel like this is a huge a, a top five achievement of the year, I mean, yeah, I think it's I think it's a top five achievement of the year. I do, I mean, it's he's he didn't make my best director list. He didn't make best screenplay. I don't think it's a. I, I mean, be, like I said, like I, what I admire about Fincher is he's able to adapt and make a different scale of a movie when he needs to and. Nolan can't seem to get out of this like blockbuster territory. And we've talked a little, little bit about him doing something similar to a prestige, but um, I found this movie intriguing. Or Dunkirk. Dunkirk made a ton of money, but it's smaller. It is smaller, but it's still pretty it's big. It's not that small. It's pretty I mean, big like, budget. That's a yeah. Big movie. Of course um, it is. But if you compare it to Tenet or Inception, no, no, it's, no, it's, it's relatively. Still, yeah, I it's, mean, they're taking over beaches. They're, yeah. I, I'm not talking about the production, I'm talking about the story. Okay. Well, the look, like, like, um, I, I, I think Tenet is a, is a, an intriguing idea. I like that that Nolan pushes the boundaries in terms of like what can make, um, you know, commercial blockbuster content, and, um, you know, like I think this movie warrants a lot of rewatches and has, you know, provided me at this point like eight hours of entertainment, which you can't say about any other movie on this list. So, so you watched it one and a half times. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've watched it four times, and Chapin, I, I, I don't disagree that like there, there is a, there is like something about what he does that's interesting. But like, I, I almost think that this is a movie. This is an example of something that got like almost got away from Nolan. Like he, he, it's almost like he read his own headlines, right? Like he is somebody that is great at using practical effects. He is somebody that creates original stories. He is somebody that manipulates time. And he took those things and he like, like made them bigger, but never connected them in a way that like was accessible for the audience. And I shouldn't have to watch a movie four times to be able to, get halfway to understanding it like i was watching lydia I, I was oddly impressed with like her ability to understand it my fourth time was her first time watching it and i'm explaining these things or she's asking questions and there's still things that i don't have answers to because the script is such a mess and like it's just 
I, I like it. I And I, I'm actually like, it's oddly a movie I'm excited to keep watching. And that's because we love Christopher Nolan. And there's a, there's a, there's a like a, a exciting aspect of his movies that is never going to be absent. But yep. this is far from one of his best movies. This I don't think this is one of the top that works 10 for movies me. of the That's year. That's fine with me. Look, I'm a huge Nolan fan. Um, but this was by far the most disappointing cinematic thing this year. And I, 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 I knew after the first time I watched it and I tried to watch it again, that this just wasn't, I wasn't going to get there with this movie. It just wasn't going to happen. Um, so I, I don't know what to say. Like, I just, I wish I liked it more. I would, you know, uh, uh, and, and I'll wait for the next Nolan. The, He'll the, bounce the thing back. Is when I watched it, when I, this is, this sounds ridiculous, but when I watched it for the fourth time, I was like, man, we're almost there. So I was like, if this was my first time watching it, then like a revisit would potentially get this on my fixie right. nominations, all right, all right. which would let's, be my fifth time. On. That's I'll ridiculous. Move. Okay. All right. Chapin, the listeners don't care how long it is. All they want to do is hear what we have to say. <laughs> no, they care. My number five is Mank. We've talked plenty about this. Jesus, that's pretty low. We don't have, wow. to, spend, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. Um, this is a this is a really expertly made movie. To, I think the screenplay is absolutely the highlight. I think we talked about a couple things with the direction where almost like maybe as good as Fincher does with it, maybe it was oddly part of the problem. I don't know. It's a weird situation. I, I, I have a very conflicted relationship with this movie, as you guys have probably figured out. I, I, I loved Gary Oldman in it, but somehow he didn't make my list. I think David Fincher's direction was top three of the year, but maybe he yep. even could have been better. But this is my number five. Jeremy, you're number five. Uh, it's it's mangrove. Yeah, um, yeah, and we talked about it earlier. It's the authenticity of it. It's it's compared to like the trial, the Chicago Seven. It seems like a reenactment. You it's, know, it's it's so much better, so much better. So number five, mangrove. It's so, but Chapin. You are like a hundred percent on board with all our mangrove picks, but yeah, look, look, I, I, I honestly, I just think like 2021 mood, 2021 shaping is just not in, it's just, there's something misaligned from, cause I, I, cause normally small acts would have been right up my alley. I, I'm not sure what's going on, but I just got so sick of those movies after a while. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say it, but like, oh. And I liked Mangrove a lot. And, and, you know, now that I think about it, I think Mangrove was the better movie than Lover's Rock. I think I was a little more on board with the vibe of Lover's Rock. The whole movie is all vibe. But Mangrove was the better structured movie and just a better example of what. Yeah. Um, my number four is The Father. Wow. Wow. I'm so confused what That's we're, low. we're doing here. That's low, Chapin. No, no. You just said something low. Yeah, you said you said the father is low. That's too low. This that's is, number four. Is, that's not low. Yeah, it's too low. Keep, keep all right, going, my number going. four. All right, I, I'm so mad at Chapin right now. I'm so happy to give this pick right now. My number four <laughs> is never rarely, sometimes, always. Oh, okay, God. this is uh, this is 
uh, my favorite thing about this movie is that it, it's it's not about abortion, right? It's not about right. uh, domestic abuse, or it's not about men's power over women, or about right versus left. It's about this. It, those are all cogs in the machine, <laughs> but it's a, it's about this character of Autumn. It, it's about yeah, her journey. Yeah. It's about watching her and her decision and the intimacy of that and the importance of that and understanding that. And Chapin, as much as you quote unquote hate this movie, all you've been able to talk about is how you've connected I, I agree, or but understood you're, but Lee, you're not gonna this get off this and be like, journey. I can't wait to get that fucking HD Blu-ray in this movie. You know, you're never gonna That's watch it. That's not what again. movies are about, Chapin. It's not all about just rewatching. It's not about rewatchability, you're Chapin. Right, you're right, it's about you're the right. power and the intensity and like the the impact that a movie has on you and never really sometimes always had arguably more impact on me than any other movie this year. And I think there's a lot of pieces in place that make this an incredible I will not deny the impact, but that movie, that movie is so over the top in the way that it it represents men. It's outrageous. It's just not believable. And that's all screenplay issues. And I will admit that the screenplay has issues. This is best film. This this has to account for all categories. All right, but you know what? Sometimes things overcome the screenplay. Like, for example, let me look. Oh, fucking Tenant. Okay, which screenplay <laughs> makes no fucking sense. Okay, so never really, sometimes, always has some screenplay look, issues. Just because you, and the way just it represents you some of the male characters. Move and and put it- <laughs> now, the male character that's most significant in this movie is the guy that bothers them throughout the movie. And if you guys rewatch this movie, like I fucking told you to, then you would see that it's actually really important to show how vulnerable these two girls are when they go to New York City and they try to accomplish something that they feel like they need to accomplish because of the decision that is theirs and that they need to make and he tries to take it in a different direction. I think this movie is incredibly powerful, incredibly important. I think you guys should rewatch it even though it's a downer. I think everybody should watch it. I think you should both go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Did you like it? (laughs) I think this is a great movie. One of the so best of the year. Your, Top, your number four? This is my number f- uh, number four. Yep. Okay. Jeremy, my your num- number four. My number four is Sound of Metal. Uh, I think it has the best final moment of the year. That's true. It is great. Um, when he just decides to take out the, the implant and you sort of get this silence and this realization after all this battle with his hearing loss. I, I really think that's the best maybe maybe moment of the year in cinema. So uh, we talked about it uh, in all of their categories, but I wanted to bring that part of it up. That's a great point. I love I, I love that scene. There's two scenes in that movie. One we talked about where he gets the implants and then also when he takes Breast. them off. I think just a just a quiet, powerful moment. Chapin, since you're so eager to wrap things up, why don't you give us your number three? First count. Oh, that's way too high. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm glad it's high. Like I, I It's a great movie. I love it. I know I'm so happy movie. that it that we have had this fully represented on our lists. Yeah, no, I, look, I mean, um I really It's would... only that high because it was filmed in Oregon. Yeah, no, I do know some <laughs> people who moved who worked on it, but actually that kind of worked against it because it was a really uh um, it was really just like a, a hard movie to, to work on. Um, but none of that came through in the movie. It was just like such a cool little slice of life in a time period that I find fascinating. And 
Um, you know, we talked, we talked about the, the sort of the, the, the American implications here, Jeremy, that you pointed out. And, uh, um, yeah. My number three is mangrove and man, I like, I don't know. I was just so invested in this movie, could not shut it off, you know, until my, obviously my number two and my number one this was my favorite movie of the year i thought for a while this was just like going to be my favorite of the movie of the year which i thought was interesting because it was part of the small x series and i don't know i just think in in simplest terms this is just a really really well-made movie and courtroom drama is not new to us but to make it new and exciting is something that steve mcqueen yeah, it effect- was real really effectively did well and, made um it's just Really well-made movie, really captivating story, really important, really topical. Checks all the boxes. Loved this movie. Maybe uh, Steve McQueen should have been nominated more for uh, <laughs> Best Director. I love how by the, by the time we get to Best Picture, which is arguably the most important, we're all so mad at each other <laughs> for yeah. our picks. Yeah. All right, my Jeremy, number, number three, three is The Father, which is what a movie is that... going on? that just sort of blew me away um, when we watched it. I didn't think I was going to have that reaction to it. I thought we were, it was going to be like, oh, let's just get this over with. Is Anthony Hopkins going to be good? All right, maybe he'll get a number five <laughs> nomination. Let's just watch it because of that. And this movie, as I talked about, cinematically blew me away. Performances blew me away. A little bit like, um, funny enough, um, The Two Popes last year. Yeah, yeah. A a late, a late entry starring Anthony Hopkins that kind of upset the uh, apple cart, pixie wise. It's Uh, just such an innovative way way to tell the story. Like I just think, like to to to. I I mentioned it with the best director for Florence. To like decide that you're going to tell it from this perspective and just like go all in on that approach and for it to work is is a huge credit to this movie. Yeah. Chapin, you're number two. No man, we're already man. there. Number no two is what? Yeah. Oh my God, what is happening? Um, I I really really love this movie, and you know I I made it, I made this point. I, look, I I really loved the father at number four, but I, I said this at the beginning. My my this year was my number one, my number two, No Man Land, and my number three, First Cow. Um, and. You know, everything else was kind of secondary, <clears throat> despite, I mean, the father was kind of intermediary there <clears throat> at number four. But, um, the, I, you know, I, I went into this movie expecting like, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll bear with this and watch it and blah, blah, blah. But it was just like incredibly watchable, incredibly engaging on an emotional level, incredibly fun, uh, beautiful to watch moving, um, it just like it just blew me away, and then Jeremy, when we watched the, when we did the podcast, Jeremy kind of turned it over for me on you know talking about the the sort of the American dream aspects of this movie for me, and I think that was like a different perspective, and um, I I don't know, I just love it, like, and I was just sort of blown away by how we combined the sort of real experiences of these people who just like playing themselves um, with with um, uh. Francis McDormand, you know, really acting and, 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 and playing away. And, and also like, I, I just like, I dig this style, this, this, 
this uh whatever the something realism i forgot what the name i i brought it up i have to look it up but like the, the taking the the torch from terrence malick and running with it and this is this is my style i love it and it's um it, yeah it was, I, well, I thought it was going to be your number one to be honest so we're so we're gonna we're gonna be jumping around a little bit here uh my number my number two is the father which we've talked plenty about um and my number one is Nomadland, Chapin, which you've been talking about. I, I, to me, this is the most one of the most beautiful movies we've seen in years. I, I think there no movie has impacted me like this since I think maybe Boyhood, which was now uh, what seven years ago, six <laughs> six or seven years ago. I just think like the power that this movie has transcends the script, transcends the filmmaking, transcends the characters. It's all about just like an exploration of a lifestyle. And I think there's just something so powerful and intimate and amazing about that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I said when we talked about it on the podcast that there's scenes in this movie that I could just watch for hours. Like I could literally watch her driving her fan for hours. And I was trying to figure out why that is. And it's a combination of the music and the cinematography and the direction. And, but I just think it's the idea behind presenting characters that you care about and that you're interested in. And this movie does this better than movies have done in the past, maybe 10 years. And I just think that that is something that movies should be able to capture and that Chloe Zhao does with this movie. I think this is easily the best movie of the year. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like is, is as much admiration as I have for what Florian Zeller did with the father. And like that, I guess I could argue is a close second because it's so innovative and so smart and so effectively done. And as much as I loved Mangrove for how engaged I was in it and Mank for like how self-referential and, and critical it is of the movie industry, like all these things I love, nothing captures movies or the power of movies like Nomadland did. And I just, I, I don't know, like, I love it when I have that experience. Like, that's why I watch movies, to have that rare experience. And I think that's that's the epitome of what movies should be. I, I agree. But I'm still only on my number two. <laughs> yeah, you're number two, Jeremy? It's Mank. Mank, okay. It's Mank, and I, fill, I think... I think I filled these in because I already figured it out. Uh, <laughs> I think... Guys, Ultimately, Chapin, is that your number one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think ultimately, like in 10 years, Mank will be the movie that I watch the most and might be my favorite movie of this year. But it's not as 2020 as Nomadland is. And right. um, I think Nomadland just sort of just hit me at the right time in the right place. And. We know it's expertly done. Uh, we've talked about it a million times already on this podcast. Uh, it it is my favorite movie of the year. And Chapin, your number one is Mank. Mm -hmm. Anything else to add? Why is it your favorite of the year? You know, like I think very like Nomadland and Mank are so close. Um, and so Jeremy, Nomadland is your number I agree. one. Yeah, I went back yeah. and forth a yeah. lot and, between and, those and two. And ultimately, like, I haven't watched Nomadland again, and I have watched Mank a couple times. And I do think, to your point, Jeremy, that I, I'm anticipating that Mank is the movie that that endures, um, and Nomadland doesn't quite as much. Um, 
But I mean, I think on a first watch basis, like no, my land would have taken this prize easily. Um, but I just, I just, I just know that Mank is going to be a movie that I revisit often. And I, I, I think it's very interesting in one of my favorite directors filmography. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, I, 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 uh, you know, I, I, I thought about like my comments about Fincher's direction and like, maybe did that get in the way of like, what was like really excellent script and idea and, you know, foundation here. But um, ultimately, I just think like this is this is my kind of movie. Um, I mean, I feel a little bit like this year, especially there weren't as many movies for me <laughs> as as there usually is. You mentioned that, yep. Um, and and Mank is definitely a movie for me, and so you know I got to elevate it a little bit. But like, I I mean, it was such a close second with Nomadland that. Like I would be so happy if Nomadland won the Fixie. I wouldn't. It would be fine with me. But I, I actually don't know what's gonna win. Well, it's gonna be close, and the Fixie goes to Nomadland, and this is our closest category of all the movies. Nomadland twenty nine points. Mank had twenty five points, and the Father had twenty four points. So for the top three movies, so I'm, and I'm I think those are the three that. best. I think those are the three best movies of the year. No question about it. Um, Wait, couple, but those aren't your top three. Well, I had Mangrove yeah. and you, Never Really Sometimes my, Always Ahead of Mank. But there's no doubt I think those coll- are the best movies, but they weren't Lee's best movies. I think collectively that's a that's a great yeah. top three. Well, I mean, it's literally mine three, two, and one. So yeah. obviously. Um, I... so, so Palmer and Associates was nice enough to send us along some interesting facts. I mean, they pointed out that it was a top heavy year that three categories cinematography actor and actress had unanimous winners um with three others supporting actress screenplay and picture just one point shy of attaining unanimous winners so that's kind of an interesting fact uh the category with the fewest nominees supporting actress only had seven performances nominated which actually i find even more interesting Hmm. um David Fincher was a unanimous third-place director. Daniel Kaluuya was a unanimous second-place supporting actor. Uh, Cinematography had the largest point differential, 15 points separating the winner. Uh, Cinematography was the only category to have two nominations appear as the second-place nominee on a voter's list that didn't appear on anybody else's votes. So thinking of uh, Luke Izzal and and Hoyte Van Hoytema, both second-place nominees that nobody else nominated. And outside of Best Picture, Screenplay and Cinematography both had the most nominations uh, with 11 each. Guys, that will wrap things up for the sixth annual Fixie Awards show 2020 (laughs) films. The winners, Best Cinematography, Joshua James Richards for Nomadland. Screenplay, Jack Fincher for Mank. Best Supporting Actor, Paul Racy for... Sound of Metal. Best Supporting Actress Amanda Seyfried for Mank. Best Actor Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Best Actress Frances McDormand for Nomadland. Best Director Chloe Zhao for Nomadland and Best Picture of the Year Nomadland. I, I, I love this. You guys, I, love I think this is a I great only show. had one wrong though for Fixie winners. I think I believe going through that my director. I love, I love how every year every year we do that. 
I, I remember a couple of years ago, Chafin said the same thing, and I I thought the same thing last year. It, it, we should remind ourselves that it's not a right and wrong situation. <laughs> well, like, I my number one was the same as Fixies, except for a director. Who did you have as director? Oh, McQueen, right? McQueen. Um, guys, amazing show. Uh, I'm so happy that we were able to watch as many movies as we did, that we were able to put this show together. I hope everybody enjoys it as much as we did. I hope to hear from everybody about your picks uh, and what you thought of the show. Feedback at gyffpodcast.com. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, again, despite the fact that the movie, the 2020 movie year has ended in such dramatic fashion, we are going to continue to move forward. I suspect that we will plan something exciting and epic for our next podcast maybe something like um i don't know amelie guys 2021 revit 2001 revisit and drive or e2 mama uh, tambi e2 mama tambien maybe either some, of those are very so, erotic yeah, yeah. something something really uh something really niche foreign and you know that will draw a big audience i think is important um or maybe we'll just do a 25 year revisit of the rock <laughs> yeah um, all right, so that will wrap things up, not only for the t- sixth annual Fixie Awards and the Get Your Film Fix podcast, but for the 2020 movie air. Jeremy Chapin, thank you so much for making this just as epic as I'd hoped. Uh, check us out on Instagram. Let us know what you thought. Continue to let us know your thoughts at feedback at gyffpodcast.com. I'm going to keep talking, guys, because I just don't want the Fixies to end. (laughs) Because when the Fixies end, that means my life crumbles. There's nothing to look forward to. It's longer than small acts at this point. So let's uh, let's wrap it up. (laughs) All right. Congratulations to our winners. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Guys, so long. (laughs) Oh, my God.